0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is the Gator Nation football podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DeVergilio. This
0: an
2: insane in the swamp. Oh my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs.
3: Scared money don't make money, you know. Welcome into another edition of the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm your host James Virgilio, alongside Alan Williams. And Alan, there is no other way for me to say this. I'm disappointed. I'm dejected. This Vanderbilt game was extremely frustrating for me and I'm sitting in the studio right now as you're in Jacksonville having just endured the United States of America blowing a one nothing lead versus Wales and I'm just I'm not in a great place right now I'm not in a great place
2: you're in a glass case of emotion I can see it uh yeah I mean it's not fun I losing that game was zero fun uh there there's losses that you can take it's like wow what a game man incredible that was not that it was not that, and despite
3: my level of current dejection, don't you worry. I'll be bringing you all the best analysis that I can. I know Alan will as well, and I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that you're listening, and so is Alan, of course. Uh, if you like this content, follow us on social media, sub to our channel on YouTube, and become a patron on Patreon, where you too can drop a dono and become a donoer. Weekly shout out here to B-Red, our producer, who texted me after the game that he was not going to watch the Florida State game. Keep in mind that B-Red played for Florida, but that's how low he was after that game. He still, however, faithfully produced our content and document today, which is important. And then humongous shout out. Yeah, huge shout out to Collie, the Commissioner. Who's currently in Barcelona, Alan, and is still editing the videos. She watched Let's the go. U.S. game. She messaged me and said, I'm still doing it. And I said, no, you're not. You're in Barcelona. have a great time. She said, no, no, no. I've got some downtime due to the hour differences here between the U S and Barcelona. I'd love to do it. So huge stuff from her video editing coming from Barcelona. Those YouTube videos will be up of course on Tuesday and another shout out for the GNFP Sammy and then GNFP Java discord thread Uh, and the Java thread. I got a little message that someone else there apparently tried to kind of recreate the magic of the hoodie that comes from the Sammy thread. And perhaps this person is to blame. For their know. own their own token that cost Florida to fall. But we'll leave that where it stands. All right. Coming in hot with some new supporters. Bruno Simon Costa. Great, right? Three names is always a win. Thank you so much for, for joining. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon family. Matthew McLeod. Welcome in. Thank you. Scott Hall. And then Steve Rose coming in with an annual dono at the small level so thank you so much for that at the medium dono level brand new coming in is mark bailey thank you mark for your support and a large dono is a level up from tony slayball doing an annual large dono so thank you very much for that tony great to have a level up from you and a dethroning dono came in from the now either legendary or infamous depending on how you look at it on the sammy thread james ridge coming in He said, Barry Jenkins, you can take my throne from me for one week, but you cannot have it for two weeks. Sort of the clap back, clap back, if you will, from from Mr. James Ridge. He is back on the throne, and we'll see what he can do this week versus Florida State, who, fun fact, that's where Barry Jenkins went to school. Barry Jenkins went to Florida State, is a Florida fan. I think he's okay with me saying that, but if he isn't, he'll have to swallow it and deal with it. Somehow he's gone this far in his life, being able to make it as a Florida fan and a Florida State grad. So um, here we are, James Ridge, back on the throne, back in his seat of power. And we'll see what happens this week in the GNFP. Uh, long live the king, as always. Alan, read off our Dono legends, if you will, please.
2: All right, let's do it. Let's start with Barry Jenkins, Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Jason Walker, the big homie, Little Peyton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi. Bobby Boucher, Frank Weiss, Marcellesi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Doctor Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Remery, and Craig Scarado. Okay, big breath here. The Gators lose thirty-one to twenty-four. You all know it. You all watched it. That's a little bit off from our prediction. We have been spot on for a couple weeks in a row, felt like. Not so this time. Um, uh, yeah, very, very, very bad. Let's talk about the keys of the game. Um, you want to see the defense have two turnovers. That happened. Nine total stops. No, that did not happen. 200 yards passing. Wow, 400? Is that right?
3: Yeah, from our offense, that's right. Hard to believe, right?
2: I know. I just see it's it right.
3: There. It's right. Well, also, it should be noted though that got <laughs> a lot of play on social media and a lot of like post game box score watching. How could Florida pass for 400 yards and lose? Well, 200 plus of those yards came in the fourth quarter. Right. So a little bit of a fraudulent stat there, but we did in fact throw for a lot.
2: And you wanted to see 200 yards rushing. Did that come in?
3: Uh yeah no, funny funny not. funny joke that's a funny joke we had thirty yards until we got a robust fifteen more there towards the end of the game forty five <laughs> rushing yards versus one of the worst rushing defenses in all of college football
2: wow I I almost can't even believe that stat both of them really um <laughs> defense third down percentage I wanted to see sub fifty percent no it was at fifty percent so we'll say that's a no. And red zone efficiency above 50 percent, Yes, but that really doesn't tell the story of the game. Okay, we had a couple questions here last last week that B red left on here. the two questions were, what is happening? and have you ever seen a turnaround like this from last week?
3: What is happening?
2: That, that feels appropriate. Is, yeah, what is is happening? Right,
3: what is happening? And, you know, last week it was what is happening in the positive sense. Like, this is crazy, right? It's the highest high. And really the, the main question is, have you ever seen a turnaround like this? A- and the answer, of course, is, is yes, right? Florida played against Utah, and then Florida played against Kentucky. Well Florida said. played against USF, and then Florida played against Tennessee. Florida played against South Carolina, and then Florida played against Vanderbilt. Napier actually said in his most recent press conference that Florida, of course, is either a really good team or a really average team. I think he's being kind by saying Florida is a really average team. I would choose to use the word bad team. You don't almost lose to a USF team that has one win on the season unless you are capable of playing like a very bad football team, at least for the level of talent Florida has. There's just a huge range for this team. And I want to revisit something we said last week, Alan. We said our picks were based upon the momentum Florida had built. Not, not a reflection of Vanderbilt, who we had a lot of respect for. They'd beaten we Kentucky. Uh, we implored at the end of the podcast to say, let it be known, this is a good Vanderbilt team. I had said this Vanderbilt offense is better than what Florida had faced versus South Carolina and AM. And we will talk about South Carolina's result versus Tennessee later. The college football world is wacky. But the bottom line is, college football this season if it's proving anything to all of you it's that it's very difficult to win these games for every single team not named georgia and even georgia puts up a 16 to 6 win versus kentucky they win not exactly pretty so difficult year to navigate yeah. but but there's no way around it right alan there's no way around it This is a really bad loss for Florida. And and no result around the college football landscape made me feel any better about it. Right afterwards, the next day or today, I feel just as bad about this this loss to Vanderbilt. Just a really bad loss.
2: Yeah, I don't think I can remember the level of variance that I've seen from one team that they're capable of producing. Um, You know, we knew that there'd be a pretty wide margin there, but this is surprised. Me as we've gone throughout the season. And this was a deeply stupid game, right? Everything you would want to have happen bad did. Um, it's you know, it's cold, the noon kick, Vanderbilt. Basically, give them 14 points on one a major mistake and one one of the weirdest interceptions I've ever seen. Um, and <laughs> the penalties, you know, the penalties weren't there weren't that many penalties, but it felt like every one was incredibly consequential drive extending, drive halting, just some really bad stuff, drop touchdown at the beginning of the game from uh, Montreal Johnson. I mean, basically the takeaway for me is, I mean, as people ask me, you know, Florida does not have enough margin. They're not that good of a team. They're not good enough to play that poorly and win. And you can do that against like an FCS team, but where for Florida's at, you know they they can't afford that, not even close to that. <laughs> you know they got back in it late because they this team does like to rally and do, you know does persevere. But man, this was really a, a really bad result. Um, and it, you know you mentioned this. If you do want to take comfort, the other scores from Saturday: Tennessee, USC, OSU, Maryland, Michigan, Illinois. The better teams will win. You know they'll win their clunkers for the most part. Florida's not nearly enough not nearly good enough to win this level of a clunker. Um, they can play poorly and win, but they can't play like this and win. They're just not good enough. And that showed up and you can lose to Vanderbilt. We said it. I mean, you said this right after the South Carolina game. We can lose to Vanderbilt. And you're a little prophetic there.
3: Yeah. And that's just a reality of where this team is. We said before the season, this was going to be like a Netflix show or whatever streaming option you prefer, where some stuff is similar and a lot of stuff is different. And you were going to find out what this season had for you. And this season's had highs. It's had lows. And right now, Florida had a lot of momentum, Allen, a lot of momentum even nationally, and it's all gone. And we said that's why this Vanderbilt game was not just a Vanderbilt game. At year one, every game is a chance to build or lose momentum and to lose in the way that Florida did in that football game took all of the air out of the balloon. The good news is there's Mm -hmm. an opportunity this weekend where you can get a lot of that air back in the balloon because neither the Vanderbilt game nor the Florida State game are going to get Florida into a playoff, let them hang a banner, but they are going to build public perception. And the perception from this kind of loss, the way they lost to Vanderbilt is only extremely negative. And when you're a new coach, you want to avoid those scenarios as much as possible. They bring scrutiny, they bring fan frustration, they bring, bring player discontent, they bring media attention, and that's just a bad loss. It's a bad-looking loss from a team that seemingly had turned a corner versus South Carolina. Uh, but again, take comfort from this as well. College football is week to week. Imagine being a South Carolina fan who looked as bad as they could look, could get as dominated as they could get dominated, and they go in and they dominate Tennessee. Florida stopped them 12 times in a row, Alan, 12 times in a row. And they proceeded to score on every single drive at one or two versus Tennessee. So college football is very week to week. Again, it's not comforting at all. This is a bad loss, but it is important to recognize Florida is not, is not an elite or dominant football team. This is not the Florida from the Urban Meyer era. This is not the Florida from the Steve Spurrier area. This is a Florida team that is closer to the bottom that was picked to finish fourth in the sec East that was not supposed to be a good football team this year that Vegas had dialed in for Allen seven wins. So if you're freaking out and right. thinking that Napier and staff are the worst thing ever, just remind yourself of all those realities, what the perception was entering the season, what Vegas thought things were based upon Florida's talent. And if you thought Florida would win 11 games, perhaps you're the unrealistic one. With all that being said, there are a bunch of things that are not encouraging with the state of where this program is right now. And of course, we highlight that every single week, but it's really important you try to maintain all angles for perspective of where Florida is in year one, what this loss may or may not mean. And we are going to break down for you what went wrong, why it went wrong. And of course, at the end of our analysis, kind of tell you what we think it means for the big picture. Is this the end of Napier does this mean nothing and everything is rosy? Is it somewhere in between? We'll make sense of all this stuff for you so you can hear our thoughts on what we think a loss like this or a result like this maybe signals for the future.
2: Okay, let's talk about the offense first here. 4-15 on third down, 3-4 or four on fourth down. No sacks allowed. 445 yards total. That's 400 yards passing again, 45 rushing for a very robust 2.1 yards per carry there. AR 2542. Uh three TDs, that's a fifty-nine percent completion rate, one pick, which I hesitate to ascribe that to him, but uh four carries and twenty-five yards. That that's significant as well. ETN only um four carries for nine yards. It, I was wondering if he was hurt throughout this game. Um, but maybe not. Montreal Johnson eleven carries, thirty-two yards, neither of them really producing. Out of nowhere, Day John Reynolds eight receptions, 165 yards, and two TDs. Monster game from him. Justin Shorter, nice day, eight receptions, 106 yards. Um, let's start with the running game. Um, that's the headline here. I think this is again multifaceted here, but let, let's start with why was the run game so effective? So ineffective, excuse me. We've talked about why it's been effective in the past, but was. Totally undone by this Vanderbilt team who had been giving up a million yards a game to other teams running the ball.
3: Yeah, Vanderbilt came in right 113th in yards allowed in the running game. They came in with a sieve as a pass defense. They were a bottom 10% defense in all of college football and they looked excellent out there versus Florida in this game. And the reason for this. If you've been watching all year long, if you've listened to this podcast, if you've watched the film reviews, should not be lost on you. Vanderbilt took a strategy that teams were taking for most of the season versus Florida, and that was to heavily load the box. They had seven men in the box on almost every single snap. They played cover zero multiple times. They did everything they could to dare Florida to beat them passing the football. And after the game, Clark Lee, of course, said, I told our guys... I don't think this team can beat us if we make them beat you throwing the football. And he was absolutely correct. And that has been the bet that most defenses have taken versus this very team and credit to Vanderbilt Allen. A lot of people can have that game plan, but to get your front seven or eight to execute that cleanly against Florida's rushing attack is very difficult. And Vanderbilt did it better than any team that Florida has faced all year long. And that is, is very, very troubling. And it's troubling because of what the film said about it. Vanderbilt was winning one-on-one matchups in the front four. Vanderbilt took advantage of Torrance multiple times. Our best lineman took advantage of Kingsley on multiple occasions, generally had their way with Florida up front. And the reason for this, and here's the meta, Vanderbilt was accurately predicting Florida's plays on almost every occasion. They knew what Billy wanted to do. They knew that Billy was stubborn enough to run the ball into max boxes. And they bet that in large part because of all of the injuries that Florida had sustained. So Florida was very far down their depth chart. And they made a calculated gamble that, hey, I don't think Billy cares if we put eight guys in the box right now. He's still going to run it. And therefore, we are just going to sell out on the snap and fill every single gap. We're not even going to read the play. We're going to fill every gap from left to right. And that strategy paid tremendous dividends. In my opinion, it's also extremely embarrassing from a play calling position. Rule number one in football, I we talked about this in Mullen forever, is go where the numbers tell you to go. And Florida routinely ran right into the teeth of disadvantaged box against a defense that had proven to you time and time again, they were not going to give you that. And Florida didn't care. Very stubborn, very foolish. I think in large part led to the success of Vanderbilt. If a team is begging you to throw the football on them, you better start throwing the football on them, especially if you are unable to overpower them when you are disadvantaged. So what does that mean? Vanderbilt had a game plan. They stuck with it and it worked. That tells you, Alan, this was no fluky win for Vanderbilt with their defense versus our offense. They created their plan. They did their plan. Their plan worked. And that largely stopped Florida. And that is why it's so frustrating when we look at this offense versus their defense. They basically had their way with Florida. They got exactly what they wanted from Florida. Nothing surprised them. And they had a very solid day.
2: They did. And just as you talked about last week with our defense, seemingly predicting South Carolina's plays, they essentially did the same to us. I mean, I think, but it was easier for them to do that because of what we're trying to do overall and what we're trying to do within each individual play. And Florida is almost good enough running the ball to overcome that but not in this case they still could have won the game had they not Vanderbilt hadn't been given 14 points but that's still not an optimal strategy you still want to maximize what you're doing and honestly i don't care who you have out there at wide receiver all of these guys are higher recruited than anybody else on Vanderbilt's team um put the walk-ons out there if they're if they're loading the box and playing cover 0 i don't care throw it you have to
3: every time that's the matchup you dream of. And it's on first down. They did it on first down in the red zone, Allen, and on second down and on third down. I mean, that's one of the more brazen applications of cover zero I have ever seen. And Florida went run, run, then obliged them and threw it. And Montrell drops a pass for a touchdown. So that play was a good play by Napier in the third call. But what are we doing on first and second down when we see cover zero, no safety, entire field open? That's just that's to me, foolish play calling.
2: Yeah, especially the second time around. If you, if they trick you on it once, you know, shame on you. But twice, I mean, I, and that's a little bit of a microcosm the entire game. We can never get any kind of momentum, never get anything going with the run game, which we really rely on to be the kind of offense we want to be, especially, as you said, with a lot of wide receivers missing. Let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit. Um, Obviously, you know, Xavier Henderson's game, Ricky Pearsall is – essentially misses the entire game after like the very first drive, I think. Um, (coughs) The floor is also already limited there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they were still effective throwing the ball. Did you see this lack of receiver depth showing up on film, despite the production from Reynolds and shorter? I think it affects
3: what Florida does for sure. As a quarterback, if you lose receivers that you have, you have comfort for where they're going to be, how they're going to run routes. But also Florida's offense, as we talked about with their passing game in particular, generally does not give the quarterback wide open, easy throws, right? I'm a big fan of the Miami Dolphins. I watch their all 22 every single week. You can watch it for the NFL. Unlike college football, anyone can get it. And what you'll see on there is even in the NFL, and of course the Dolphins have great receivers, but, uh, you know, play calling oftentimes, like we saw with Mullen at Florida Allen, will lead to wide open receivers. We we would always really kind of write, sing Mullen's praises for this, is that he would draw up stuff where the quarterback had such an easy job to complete a pass. And with Napier, that almost never is the case. And, and don't get me wrong, there's open receivers, right? We missed Bowman on two go routes that could have been touchdowns. We missed plenty of opportunities, but... Here's the reality. You have a quarterback who is a sub 60% completion percentage quarterback. He's a guy who throws the ball on target 65% of the time. Those are facts. That's the reality. If you go to practice, you can watch AR throwing versus air and it's not clean. His ball placement is not great. What does that tell me as a play caller? I can't count on him hitting one-on-one go routes on fourth down and seven, third down and three, third down and 10. That's not going to be a high percentage play for me. I have to do things that are better. That are more creative, that take advantage of opposing teams' weaknesses to beat them. And sometimes it can be as simple as having Dejon Reynolds run the same exact play he dropped a touchdown on earlier. If they're giving me man-to-man, I'm going to run him on a drag cross and know he's going to win. And that's the frustrating part, Alan, is for Florida, I think they run so many hitches. They run so many routes where the receivers stop the momentum. It's often just so much easier to say, "Oh, they're playing man. Let's just clear everybody out to one way and let's let one guy run the other way and run the play. Run it 10 times in a row if you want." They're playing man. You don't have to be deceptive, but Florida so often feels like they're their own worst enemy. And ultimately, Allen Vanderbilt did exactly what we thought they were going to do in this game. They bought the pressure rate that we thought they'd bring. They pressured us 38% of the time. Florida was 7 for 16 when they brought pressure. Florida was four of 13 versus their man defense. This is one of the worst man defenses in all of college football. Florida was four of 13. Florida was one for eight when they brought their six-man pressures. I had said on the podcast that last week that Vanderbilt brings six-man pressures more than anything else. That's Again, these are all things they told us, Alan. Vanderbilt literally said, hey, Florida, we know you know our tendencies, and we are not even going to change a thing because we think we have you so nailed. And they were right. And lastly, and I want to say this now before we get too far, there was so much scuttlebutt and so much conversation about AR not keeping the ball. If you're curious on film, the overwhelming majority of the time, just based upon the read, he should not have kept the ball. He was making the correct reads. Vanderbilt was king on AR. They had one, oftentimes two guys waiting for him on the opposite side of his own read, Now, you can argue that AR is the best player on the field. He should just call his own number and keep it. That's fine. That's a very different argument than when people say he would have walked in the end zone. The announcer said this too. He would walk in the end zone if he kept that. That is not true. You can watch the lineman cam on the All-22 and on every single play that outside end or scraping linebacker is waiting. They are keeping their leverage and they are waiting. They were not dubbing inside. They were not doing what South Carolina did. They were not going to let AR beat them with easy runs to the outside. Florida came out at the start of the second half and forced the issue twice. They ran a keeper, like a kind of reverse fake keeper with AR. Vanderbilt waited for it. Florida gained seven yards, sure, but they were waiting for it. The next play, they ran a zone read keeper. There were two guys waiting for it. AR kept it. You better believe those plays were just, hey, keep it, AR, see what happens, right? So this team was ready for what Florida was going to give them. And to circle all the way back, if you don't have a guy like Ricky Pearsall, who Florida has leaned on so heavily, then Burke goes down. A guy you were counting on was part of your game plan. Now you're pretty deep into your depth chart. Bowman's getting a lot of snaps. A guy that's gotten maybe a handful of snaps a game, right? He's not a good blocker. Bowman's getting blown up on wide receiver screens. It limits your playbook to what you want to do. Uh, But most importantly, I want to say this. I do not think, I just don't think, Alan, that Florida's missing receivers even as good as Ricky Pearsall is, were the reason why Florida lost this football game. You still had shorter. You still had productive guys out there. You still had Dejon Reynolds, a guy running open, having a great stat line day, right? That to me is not the story. Sometimes it could be the story. I do not think Florida lost this game because of what was definitely affecting them, for sure. Wide receiver depth, I don't think that's why they lost.
2: Well, against a different team running a different game plan, you could say, yeah, you're just bricked up every which way, so why not try to do the thing you're best at? I get that, but we, they're inviting us to do something. And we didn't, we rarely tried until the very end of the game. And as we were having to throw the ball um, and and we have these plays in our playbook occasionally, you know, just like we talked about the drop touchdown to Montreal Johnson, if you're going to go against pressure, there are ways to avoid it. And, you know, that's one of the few running back screens we've ever like run all year. It feels like, but yeah, it just was a disappointing day from the players, from the coaches. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm having to divvy up the blame, I'm going to put most of it on the coaches, that that they could have had more answers available to them, despite the fact they're playing really short-handed at receiver and a tight end. You know, we're doing stuff like we're, we're lining up four wide at the end of the game. We still have a, a tight end in the route, Xanders or Odom. And I know we don't have a lot of wide receivers, but just – throw the walk-ons out there. I mean, that they, they have to be more effective in that type of scenario. So it just felt like we were still clinging to our superstructure of what we want to do when the day called for something really different. And yeah, again, we've we've, we've had complaints about the tactical nature of this team and this offensive staff getting their head on straight for what the other team is trying to do to them and, Yeah, I don't don't want to say they got outclassed by Vanderbilt. It was like level one. Vanderbilt was like, here's what we're going to do. This is the most obvious thing to do, and we never moved past that. So they didn't get especially tricky with us. They just, as you said, did what they should do. They did exactly what they should have done, and we had no answer for it. Absolutely
3: right. I mean, Florida, obviously, their possessions were limited, Florida was moving the ball slowly. Vanderbilt was also maintaining the ball somewhat versus Florida's de- defense. So in the first half, it was sort of like blink right. your eyes and it was over. Not a lot of possessions, right? But there were so many miscues. Obviously, we'll talk about defense with ill time penalties. But you had, you know, you had a, you had, you had just zany stuff going on. You had dropped passes on top of that, right? So plays were left out there. Players left plays out Definitely. there. Players made mistakes. But to your point, Allen this to me is clear Florida's offense versus Vanderbilt defense was a coaching win for Vanderbilt and a coaching loss for Florida. It was not neutral. It was not that Florida's offense was unlucky player wise. And and the coaches put these guys in great positions. This was a coaching win for Vanderbilt. That's what the film says. That's what I think it is. And that's that to me is why I'm partially so frustrated is that is unacceptable to have superior talent, even if you're with younger guys, to have a have a playmaker like A.R. at quarterback, even though he is accurate, you know what he is by this point in time, you know how to utilize him, and just to get so little out of this offense early in the football game, especially when your team has momentum, Florida had momentum versus Vanderbilt early, right? This could have been a very different game. We get in the red zone, Florida's one of the worst red zone teams in all of college football, right? We're 124th in red zone scoring, 124th. We get in the red zone, we go 12 personnel, we go run, run, incomplete pass. We get in the red zone the next time, we go, you know, run, run. It's 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 mind-numbing. And we've been chronicling it all year long. Very frustrating. So yes, I'm putting an L on the coaches for this one. Again, players had responsibility. It's always both ways. Don't get me wrong, but to your point, Alan, the coaches cannot go home on this one and say, hey, you know what? We had a great game plan. We dropped 10 passes. We had some fluky stuff go down. We ran all over them. We had a balanced offense. We did a lot of things well. That's not the story of this game. Vanderbilt goes home and says, hey, our game plan worked. We thought they were exactly who they were, and we wound up winning the football game.
2: Right, and, you know, there's some big moments where, where Florida does have success running the ball. I mean, Macho Johnson has a 27-yard run negated by a legal formation penalty, Another time he had, a, I think, a 15-yard run or so that Kingsley you know, does the thing that we've not wanted to see our offensive lineman do, run into the pile late and smash into people. So just some costly mental errors as well that stymied what this team needed to do. And, and we needed these breaks, unfortunately, against Vanderbilt. We needed to not have those penalties called. We needed to not fumble into the end zone on a punt we needed the defense to play really well and none of those things happened. So it was the accumulation of every kind of thing allowed this game to take shape. But if you're looking at, you know, where do you place the blame? I, I think we've been, you know, accurate where it, where it should lie. Although the players did not play well themselves for sure. All right. I don't know anything else you want to talk about in there before we get to changes we'd like to see.
3: No, because there's so many things we could talk about. But at this point in time, you know, previous podcasts come into play, right? With issues with AR, with inaccuracy, missing receivers that are open, with good plays being made here and there. But you do have a question here, I guess we, we, I sort of answered, but we didn't really discuss. And that's, should we have tried to create more AR runs? That's a good question. Because it's one thing to run zone read, right? It's one thing to run that kind of fake handoff with AR. But let's just say this, and this goes on the coaches you have a guy who is the most athletic person on the field. The plays we are, we are calling for him to run are are level one creativity, right? Right. And for as, as excellent as Billy Napier's zone running scheme is, and I say it every single week, it's excellent. Lots of great looking stuff on film. Very, very interesting. You have unbalanced lines. You can run inside zone, outside zone, split zone. You have nice fakes off that. The runs for AR are just a zone read off of that. That's pretty much what they are. We never roll out left ever. Not one single time do we ever roll out left, right? There's a lot of room for things you could do to develop quarterback runs. Much like we saw a Meyer do with Tim Tebow. It's not happening. So I want to answer that question with, yes, we should have absolutely tried ways to get our quarterback more involved in this game with more creative running plays that are built for the quarterback to keep it no matter what. But as we've said all year long, It's hard to find any other narrative, Alan, other than Billy Napier is so married to his systematic plan for football that tactics almost do not matter to him. We're going to run this play because I like this play, and I run this play because I'm Billy Napier, and that's what happened in this game so many times. I'm in the red zone. I go 12 personnel. I don't care who my tight ends are. I don't care if I don't have any tight ends. I'm going to run 12 personnel, right? I'm going to run zone read because that's who I am. I'm Billy Napier. I run zone read. AR can keep it every single time he wants. He can also not keep it because I'm Billy Napier. And that stuff is where it hangs in the coaches because you need to be better, especially when you are struggling to run the football, to take your superior athlete, right? And get him the football. And Napier did a really good job of this with Ricky Pearsall. Ricky's touches have gone up. They started using one of those jet sweeps. They're more creative with how they employed him. But I think in this game with Pearsall out, with Xavier Henderson out, with Burke out, a lot of guys that are out, Allen. You have no Whittemore, a guy who's got a ton of SEC experience, right? It certainly seemed like Florida ran out of creative ideas and it just became a bunch of hitches, a bunch of zone reads, a bunch of zone runs, and Vanderbilt was more or less all over it. Again, most of Florida's passing yards really coming when they're down 28-12, 28-12 in the fourth quarter.
2: Yeah, and I understand why you might not have a, a ton of those plays really dialed up. Like in your bag because you don't want to run AR a million times a game. I get that he's not shown that he's capable of withstanding that kind of play calling, and you're probably limited in what the kind of plays that you're running with. You know, that far deep down the wide receiver bench. If he had emptied the bag and it didn't work, I I think we'd feel fine about that. But correct, it didn't didn't really seem to reach into the bag.
1: No, that's
3: well said. That's exactly what it is. Well said.
2: All right, changes you'd like to see. You got a simple sentence here. Get the tactics and numbers right.
3: Yeah, this is it. Play more tactically. If, when people ask me during the week, how do you feel about the program? What are your thoughts? What's your takeaway? This is my main negative right now is that Florida does not seem to be a very tactical program. Every week we go on the podcast. And again, you can just read these stats for yourself, right? These are These are stats anyone can look up. They can find out what the opposing team is doing charting-wise, how often they pressure, how often they play man, how often they play zone, who gets targeted the most. I mean, these are all things anyone can do. Yet at the end of most weeks, not every week, most weeks we come on this podcast and say, you know, Florida may have had success, but it wasn't like they directly targeted a weakness of the opponent, right? And on one end, you sort of have like a Bill Belichick style, kind of every single game is different. I'm going to play to my opponent. I'll do something radical, And then you have Napier, who's the total other barbell, who's like, hey, every opponent we play, I just do what we do, because that's what we do. And that's how we win. Uh, And I think to me, you want to be more on the tactical side, the better your team is. Foundationally, of course, you have to be systematic. But tactically, this team has not looked good at many occasions this season. That's frustrating. And you have got to abide by the law of numbers in football. You absolutely have to. If you come out of the gates and a team's playing eight guys in the box and you're running for six yards a carry, fine. You can you can ignore that. That's not what happened. It was not what was happening. And yet the entire game, Florida continued to run against the numbers. Again, you must abide by the numbers. So those are changes I'd like to see. I'd like to see Florida's program become more tactical, and I would like to see on offense, Florida's offense, go where the numbers tell them to go. Take what the defense gives you.
2: Yeah, and it sounds like we're building a case to be – extremely tactical at the expense of being strategic. And, you know, if you're on the other side of the equation, you're completely tactical, but you're not good at it. You end up installing a bunch of plays that your players can't run. And you're like, oh, we're so tactical, but your meta strategy isn't there for them to build on top of. And you're just, you fail week to week because your tactics fail and you have no bigger strategy with which to lean on or with to put players in positions for them to feel comfortable and so it's not like i think we'd expect a college team to be doing what bill belichick is doing obviously he has an incredible infrastructure with which to build on to be tactical he's been with the patriots for you know 20 something years now so i don't think it's realistic for any college to be like that that's not the bar we're hoping to jump over but there, there are places to lean into that more certainly
3: yeah it's a balance correct and it's easy obviously after every game to kind of be reactionary our society is too reactionary and they pick too many things we try to do this podcast as a full season narrative all of it applies right so you've heard us talk a lot about foundation building about the system about how much we like Billy doing those things and this this is a particular game where we can really highlight we think one of the biggest weaknesses and that's what we're doing now that does not negate the tremendous strengths that have that have been on display with Florida's culture building Florida's structure right Florida's overall plan to win uh, but to your point Alan there's a finessing that re- is required to balance those and that's what really good st- strategic thinkers do when do I apply the tactics when do I apply strategy when will my base offense and strategy just work because I have a good matchup And when will it not? And what do I do if it goes sideways? And do I have a tactical plan for the opponent I am playing against? Should things not work out the way I want them to, rather than just continuing to do the same thing? And at the end saying, yeah, you know, we just Florida hurt itself. Sometimes you have to find ways to help your players by doing things. Again, perhaps your meta strat should have worked, but it is not working in that game. Sometimes you've got to jumpstart, so to speak, your offense by doing some different things just to get some momentum going.
2: Yeah, and again, just to close this out here, you can't be Mike Leach Airied one week and Alabama 2010 run the ball down your throat the next week. You don't have the players or the practice time or the infinite infinite variety of body types to put in there. So you have to have a lane that you pick that you build onto. So we, you could you could come back to every team at the end and go not tactical enough. You should have run air raid here on this particular play. It's like, we don't have air raid installed. So yeah, this is not nitpicking, hopefully from us. This is some things that are, of course, bring into question what what are the coaches attempting to do? Okay, let's go ahead and talk about the defense here. Uh, Vanderbilt, 7 of 14 on third down. Very nice for them. Uh, 283 yards, 108 passing, 175 running. One pick, one fumble, four punts. They give it one sack. So Mike Wright, their quarterback, uh, 10 of 16 for 108 yards, three TDs, one pick, 51.1 QBR, but often hurt Florida running the ball as well. And Ray Davis, a very workmanlike, often very effective, 30 carries for 122 yards. So they really used him as a battering ram against the Florida defense, and they couldn't quite – hold up there so if you look at those numbers not just the ones i read but in totality you know it it's not a terrible effort from the defense right there was times they should have gotten off the field but i I would say not a bad effort overall let's start with any kind of positive here did you see some positive carryover from last week
3: There were actually plenty of positives on defense in general. And in fact, you know, the defense played well enough to win this football game. It's important to note that you're obviously not always going to stop teams 20 times in a row. And Florida came out and stopped Vanderbilt, right? Two more times in a row. Should have been a third time in a row. Um, Penalties obviously hurt them. But in general, there was a lot to like about what Florida put on film in this game. And I think had they not had those penalties, there would have been seven or eight plays that were bad. Right where Florida struggled with their discipline on the edge. That was a regression. Florida played very soft again on third down. That was definitely a regression, although not surprising. On both the A&M and South Carolina films, Alan, we had highlighted plays where people were open, right? People were open, and we had said, hey, look, a better team probably hits this. And that is largely what happened. And, and again, for a lot of you, I think it's still shocking for me to say that Vanderbilt's a better offense than either of those teams were entering into this game. South Carolina found some super magic versus Tennessee. But overall, Vanderbilt had a very competent offense. They did not have any bad tendencies. They didn't have an obvious thing to attack. They generally played safe with the football. They did well against pressure. And, you know, Florida did well enough to win the game. Let's talk about how the points came up first of all, right? Muffed punt, touchdown, short field, touchdown, Uh, and then field goal given up with a short field. So, you know, that's 17 points that are not, full field points on defense, right? Sure. And Vanderbilt scores, you know, 31. And that's, that's plenty enough to win. Like if Vanderbilt scores 17, we had Vanderbilt scoring 17 in our own projections. That's totally fine. So for my money, the defense was fine. There were issues. There were frustrating things. There were things I wouldn't prefer. Like I just listed. Uh, but, you know. You would
2: take that from this defense at this You point would take
3: this it. Season. This is fine. Like we, like we said, this was a chance for the defense to prove to us where they were. And I think they proved to us that they have gotten better. They looked better in so many ways, but that this is still not a complete unit. We lost Torrance. Torrance goes down with an injury, right? That's going to affect this team. He's a good leader back there as a safety, maybe not a super impactful kind of guy, but he's almost always in the right place. Uh, So a frustrating outing. I think, I think the defense probably feels like they wish they could have gotten off the field more because they were their own worst enemy multiple times. Some were stupid, some were unlucky, right? The Ryland Powell face mask call is just unlucky. The princely shoving well after the whistle is idiotic, foolish that cost this team. So, just a grab bag of of good, bad, and indifferent. But but not not the. I'm not as frustrated with the defense, Allen, as I am with the offense. I'm not. No, like, not at all. This this was fine, and we won this game, twenty eight to seventeen. Nobody would have been upset with the defense. You know what could have been better? Could have Let's clean some stuff up here. A few issues here and there. But the defense, I think, is just if you're frustrated with them, it's largely because you're really frustrated with special teams, I think, in the offense. And it's carrying over to the defense not playing uh, disciplined. And that is frustrating. And you should be frustrated with that. But that really hurt Florida. Make no mistake about it. Those penalties really hurt Florida.
2: Certainly the defense could have saved the day, right, if they play – as well as they played against South Carolina, they erase some of those penalties and get off the field. If Kamari Wilson comes up with that pick six or something like they they could have done things, of course, to affect the game differently, but you would take their performance. If I, if you just say, okay, here's what Vanderbilt did. Will you take it? You'd be like, yeah, sure. Fine. Don't feel bad about that at all. We win the game. We should win the game. Right. What we didn't win the game. Okay. That's terrible. So I, I don't know. I mean, not to say it was average because this team, speaking of this team's average is, is kind of difficult because of the extreme lows and then the really big highs from the last six quarters. So I, I don't know. But if you're looking for an average, I guess it it could be that. I mean, you've kind of said, it well, I, I was not frustrated by their play at all. I, I was frustrated by the penalties, I guess, is where I would be in some of them their fault some of them are you know amari bernie getting called for holding on a play i was like yeah sure i guess kind of but mm. that did you really need to call that that call was play
3: that calls egregious i actually said in the film review that it, i know the officials review their own film but that guy to me that that ought to go as a demerit on his on his portfolio i mean he doesn't even reach for the flag alan until he sees Wright throw the football away. And then he goes into his pocket and gets his flag. And that is a good three full seconds after Miller had even touched um Vanderbilt's tight end. That 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 was so frustrating. So frustrating. The officiating was not great in that football game. That penalty was a trash one. There were again some others that were questionable, but and that hurts, like we said, that that hurts. But again, as a coach, that's gonna happen. There's a human element to football. Refs are going to make mistakes; they're people too. And if if that's how they convert a first down one time, then so be it. Right, life goes on; you'll live with that one. Yeah, and the, the coaches aren't going to be mad about that. They're going to no, be like, not at
2: all. Hey, man, that was, that was tough. Hey, maybe you clean this up a little bit here. But yeah, again, uh, this goes back to Florida's margin of error being very, very low. That this particular level of performance from the defense, plus these very, very, very untimely penalties, created the window for them to lose. So, um, yeah, uh, let me, is there a, a best part, worst part that's very reductive, but just not a lot that we probably want to chew on here.
3: Yeah. The best part was, was, you know, ventral Miller, uh, great game again. He's, he's weak where he's weak, right? His moments he just gets beat for an easy touchdown. He's not a great cover guy. We know that we've chronicled that. But everything else he does is is so impactful to this Florida defense, and so I think in general when he's out there, he's making a lot of good plays. He's flying around, he's making good reads, uh, and you know I thought I thought that that Ryland Powell just looks the part, Allen. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it's safe to say that this defense is is not missing Brenton Cox at all, and that's that's all because of Ryland Powell. He's extremely disruptive. He's an excellent pass rusher. He generally does the right thing. He's never going rogue, which helps, although in this game one time he did. He went too far up the field, and that cost Florida a third down stop. So he certainly made a mistake. Uh, But he's putting great stuff on film, right? He gets denied a sack because he barely grabs Wright's face mask when Wright's dead. It's super unlucky. But that's also a highlight, too. I think his play's been very good. That was the best part. And, you know, I think all in all, Florida had a lot of really good plays. That's probably the best part. Florida played defense on, you know, 70-plus snaps, and they had – they had a lot of really good plays. I mean, a lot of plays were really good. And the worst part was a lot of plays were really bad. And that's the consistency that Florida is missing. If you look at the biggest difference between professional football versus college football, it's just consistency. Yes, it's talent. Yes, it's you know more complexity, it's it's a it's a faster level of processing. But at the end of the day, these guys are much more consistent at doing everything they do. And Florida is so wildly inconsistent from week to week with how they do things, with what they're doing. And that's the worst part because for Florida, they were their own worst enemy in this football game. Vanderbilt did earn several plays on their own, credit to them. But let's be real here, Alan. If you take away these automatic inversions, Vanderbilt's no longer seven for 14. They're like three for 14. And if that's the case, that's a lot of points that come off the board. It's a lot more time for Florida's offense. It's a very different football game. And and this was a painful, painful part of this football game. These penalties were so painful. I'm sure as you watched it, you felt like others did. It was just maddening to watch that yellow box pop on the screen and say flag. So disheartening to watch third and long become first down and 10 for Vanderbilt. Just so disheartening. And again, these are penalties that did not need to be made, right? Ball's not being thrown there. The guy's not open. There's no opportunity for anything. The play is absolutely dead. It's 11 guys doing a great job. And that happens. And that's, that's just, that hurts. That hurts bad.
2: Indeed. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate that it came out to that, but it, it did. And yeah, there's some really good stuff. There's some, average stuff. And then Florida will still turn in some very poor plays on defense. And I I don't, again, the mixture of that is in the positive direction for me right now. So that that's for me, the best part is that they've continued to put things on film that, Hey, I'm encouraged by the direction is pointing up. They've gotten rid of the worst stuff that they put on film at the beginning of the season. And, you know, if you look at them over the course of the entire season, you're probably generally feeling good, despite the fact that they still can't seem to figure out how to do some of the aspects of zone defense, but yeah, I mean, we can stop talking about them because I think they've, they did their part on Saturday. Uh, Let me just ask this particular kind of more nuanced question. Uh, Obviously, Vinchel Miller did not finish this game. He got ejected for targeting on a replay, which was felt like a low blow in the moment to Florida fans. Um, did the defense look especially weak after that? How did they do holding their own against the run and kind of the overall look of the defense?
3: Well, Florida got a couple of stops after Miller went out. So especially weak is definitely not the case. They weren't as helpless as they've been right. Previously this season, they looked better, more comfortable, but they were more vulnerable versus the run. And that's just a fact. I mean, Miller is our best run stopping linebacker. It's been a major deficiency, Of Florida in general, we don't have a good run-stopping safety. We do not have a good run-stopping linebacker outside of Ventrell Miller. And if you lose Miller, you lose a lot, right? Bernie often gap fits incorrectly, does not read the field well, is not very good at that type skill set. So there's definitely a step back on film. You see it. Uh, And and thankfully, I think for Florida, it, it didn't occur so early that Vanderbilt had enough possessions to maybe really start to make Florida pay for it. And Vanderbilt was really in let's burn the clock down mode on offense anyway. Until they inexplicably threw a football pass towards Jason Marshall that really changed I think the complexion right of this football game in a significant right. way. uh Jason Marshall had a very nice game in this game so this is one of his better games on film. It was nice to see him doing that excellent pick good coverage that he that he had there but they were their own most uh, one worst enemy in that situation but you know they looked worse of course they're going to be worse, but it wasn't. As bad as we had seen earlier in the season, which does note some progress for Florida's defense that they didn't just completely roll over and fall apart once they lost their best run stopper.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they Vanderbilt wasn't pressuring them in the same kinds of ways that they were earlier. But yeah, it was encouraging that they didn't totally fall apart once he left the game, uh, that Florida was still able to get back into it. All right. Anything else you want to note before we get to changes?
3: No, because I'm going to mention what I want to note in the changes. There you go. Do it. All right. Changes we'd like to see. Just like the offense, you have to get the tactics right. One recurring frustration point for me with Tony. Sometimes I can't, I don't necessarily always understand, or let's say agree with his decision strategically and or tactically with how he wants to attack certain teams doing certain things. And I would love to sit down with him one day and kind of ask, hey, why was your game plan for Vandy the way that it was? And here's a few examples. So we knew that Vandy was balanced. We knew that they were you know, kind of there wasn't a smoking gun with how you would necessarily attack them. But Vandy was showing early on they wanted to run a lot of quick game. That's what they were doing, right? A lot of quick game, a lot of quick slants, get the ball out fast. And because of that, Florida actually only put right under pressure just five times. But during those five times, Allen, Vandy was a remarkable four for five with three touchdowns. Remarkable. That's quite the number, quite the stat. Except we said on this very podcast last week that pressure should only be used as an exploitative strategy. Why? Because Vanderbilt has an incredible 113 quarterback rating versus it. And they were far worse versus three rushers where they had a 73 quarterback rating. Florida played all of one snap with three rushers and Vandy went over one. So to me, that just, I don't understand that. I would like to know why, Hey, why are you choosing to pressure when you know this team is very good at it? And why are you choosing not to run a three man scenario when you know this team is very bad at it? I'm curious. I'd like to know that seems to be anti-tactical if you will uh, in general. Secondarily, On one hand, on the other hand, rather, Florida can do some really awesome stuff. Kamari Wilson should have had a pick six. It was a beautiful play. Florida had tried this multiple times. We've been putting it on film where Tony wanted the safety to come downhill and rob those slant routes. And we were always too slow to get there. Torrance would be too far behind it. Well, you know, Kamari was not. He sold out for it, read it perfectly, had the pick thrown right to him. And that's some really great stuff. So I know that Tony can put some really great stuff on film. I've seen it. My frustration is just why not just be clean and look at what the team doesn't want to do, right, and force them to do it. Take away what they're uncomfortable doing. Be relentless with it. Especially this late in the season.
2: Yes, and you have have
3: strong tendencies with this data, Alan, and that's why when we get this, this far in the season, we come on the podcast after every game, and you can really see it. It's really right there. There's enough to know what this team is struggling with. And I just think this staff, for whatever reason, on both sides of the football, just for being, quote, such an analytical team and staff, there's stuff that I have questions about. I'd like to see us get that right. I really happen to think that could have led to one or maybe even two more wins this season for Florida had they been more committed to that kind of stuff. And for a team, again, that's so into the strategy and analytics side of football, I, I often wonder how they're coming up with such very different ideas on how they want to do things it's again perhaps they just have a solution that is elegant and i'm not seeing it and it's not being employed correctly so i can't find where it's at but from my vantage point i would like to see this team become smarter and more tactical with how they approach again teams they're playing to give their players a better chance of success
2: all right yeah i gotta say the game changers are in their name this week they Boy, did, did they change better. the game.
3: They changed the game yet again in a non-positive way.
2: So, before I rip them a little bit, this is tough. Xavier Henderson's been the guy at Punt Return all year. You move to Ricky Pearsall. You don't have Henderson even available to you. Pearsall goes out. You've got your third-string guy. And Not that he muffed a punt, though. He made just the kind of decision that I feel like a high school punt returner knows not to do. On your inside your own ten, going backwards, catching the ball over your head. (coughs) That that's like basic level stuff. I've never returned a punt in my life, but I know I wouldn't do that. So, this is really tough. Um, And it gets worse. You know, some decent kickoff returns that they gave up missing an extra point which you know can happen and so it's not all bad (laughs) crosshaw continues to play well uh hits two of two field goals right but i don't know it's not good teams are not special
3: they're not good they're each week they're generally one of our weakest units and that's a problem uh, obviously they, they didn't go for two and Florida's two point plays left a lot to be desired. Haven't mentioned those until right now. Kind of saved them. Right? Have I, I don't know if we can put about. that on special special. It is not special. Offense, it is not special teams on the offense. Just saved it for this point to say that Florida wanted to go for two there. That was fine. They should have gone for two plays were very questionable. I list that on film review. Uh, and if you're wondering again, why we don't talk about as many individual plays as we used to on this podcast, it's because those are there visually for you on the YouTube channel. So kind of walking through them in verbal formats not quite as elegant as being able to see them. But that was frustrating. That's not on special teams. But in general, Alan, another another week where special teams just are not good. And this is if you're looking at the overall trend for Florida's special teams unit, it's not great. And for Jason Marshall, it's really hard to come into the game. He's fielding a high punt. It's cold It's hard to read the football in those situations. He reads it incorrectly. It's drifting over him. He already signaled fair catch. You sort of panic, and you think, I have to complete this. You don't realize you should just let it go. You don't have a lot of experience back there. I'm making excuses for him because it does happen, obviously, right? I mean, it happens is the bottom line. LSU lost to Florida State earlier in the year because they were, you know, Florida State, I mean, almost, sorry, almost beat Florida State because Florida State's dropping you know, punts, LSU dropping punts. I can remember. I think LSU dropped punts, Allen. Either way. Point is, it happens. It's frustrating. It sucks. And for Florida, that really changed the game. And I think in that case, that's where maybe Jason Marshall gets in there. And you just tell him, hey, look, if that ball is not in front of you, don't catch it. That's simple, right? Put your heels on the 10-yard line. If you have to take a step back, even at all, don't catch it. And maybe he still does it. He's a human. But there's too many instances this season where we have gone on this very podcast and said our special teams are not good. And that's the real problem. If this was the first time all year, we're saying, Hey, this is an issue. No problem. Not an issue, but this is generally every football game. So Florida's gonna have to look themselves in the mirror in the off season and make some decisions with what they want to do with that unit.
2: Right. Well, I mean, Billy took the unconventional path here of not having us, an on-field coach, be the special teams coordinator and left it to an analyst. And, I think that is theoretically a fine route to go, but something has gone wrong. Either the guy you hired isn't getting it done, maybe his time is limited with them. I don't really know how that works having an analyst be your, your, essentially your special teams coordinator. Uh, but it hasn't been working. Something needs to change in either alignment or job description or something. You ready for coaching decisions? Always
3: ready. Always ready. All right. So okay. let's start with the always popular end of the first half. <laughs> this time, Florida yeah, I mean, does I- not have the ball. It's not a Mayday situation because Florida's getting the ball back. So this is the most rosy of all situations. Vanderbilt has the football, Vanderbilt has the lead, Vanderbilt's running plays, Florida has timeouts. Florida chooses not to call timeouts and basically let the game go to halftime. Were you in agreement with this strategy?
2: No, I don't think so, but I fully expected that was what was going to happen.
3: Yeah. And at this point in time, it's not even worth discussing more than that than to say, I'm so frustrated by it. I I cannot, again, be one thing if Napier came in and said, I'm not an analytics guy. Don't look at me to do what's higher EV. Just look at me to do crazy stuff when I'm afraid and all, and that's just accept it. So we saw the Mayday stuff, and we thought, hey, it's Mayday. It's what he does. I don't like it. And now we saw a scenario where he has every reason to be aggressive. Vanderbilt's in the Mayday situation, Alan. Vanderbilt's in his self-proclaimed Mayday scenario. This is the mother of all situations, and we don't, we don't work that against him. That's also highly illogical. If what you fear is facing the other team, and you don't make them face it, I have questions. So more illogical stuff with the end of the first half, dislike. All right, here's a fun one that's just really nuanced. There's not a there's not a right or wrong here, but I like discussing this one. So Florida's kicking off with enough time that if they get a stop, they'll have roughly forty five to fifty seconds left, and they choose to kick an onside kick down, you know, by what should have been six, but wound up being seven because of the missed PAT. Did you favor kicking an onside kick there? And the reason I'm gonna ask this question is if you don't get it. You know that you're going to get the ball on your own 10 or 15 yard line. Whereas if you kick it away and you get it, you might get the ball on the forty yard line, which is a huge yeah. difference. So there's merit, I think, to ask this question. So what camp were for you sure. in for this game?
2: right away, I I was like, I like the aggression. Let let's give ourselves another chance to win the game here. But I was watching the game with one Chris Hodges, um, and he was like, Nah, we're gonna stop him. And we get the ball back way better, field position. I was like, I, you know what? I think you're right. So, in hindsight, that's what I would have done.
3: Yeah, I like that. That's my camp right away. I, I've been in that camp before. If you guys have been listening to the pod for any matter of years, you've heard me talk about this when teams do it. There's enough time there that I don't want to kick an onside kick. And I want to keep going back to this because the odds of you getting an onside kick in college football, island are so small, it's so tiny. But you have to stop the team you're going against either way, no matter what you have to stop them. And if you do stop them on three straight plays, no matter what, you get the ball back. And I think with that scenario, you want to say I'll take the ball with 40 seconds left on my own 40-yard line every day of the week. That's way better. If I get the onside kick, I get two minutes, and I have the whole field to go, and that's like the best rosy scenario. But the flip side of that is like basically death, like the odds of you actually going all the way down the field. Florida started like the six-yard line. So small, right? So difficult. So I am definitely in favor of kicking that away with a time remaining. Now, if there's a minute left or a minute 30 and they're going to run the clock out, of course, you kick the onside kick. But I view the onside kick in an obvious onside kick situation as something I never want to do unless I absolutely have to. Yeah. Correct. Because it's just so unlikely. So not a fan of that one. But again, that's more nuanced for sure. Just sort of a fun kind of a coaching corner thought that occurred within the game. All
2: right. Final thoughts. All right. We're going to, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, So losing to Vanderbilt is almost always bad. And it does feel like a step back. So I'm going to give you like a five point scale here. So how bad was this loss? So not good, bad, terrible, devastating, or fireable. Let me read this again. All right. How bad was this loss? Not good, bad, terrible, devastating, or fireable.
3: Terrible. It's terrible. It's not fireable and it's not devastating. And I'll tell you why. You want to look at games that are fireable or devastating. And I'll start with fireable in a couple different categories than this one. So a fireable offense is when you've got enough data, you've seen enough of the same mistakes occur, and basically hope is lost, right? Like you've seen enough to know this is just not going to turn around. All the evidence indicates it's not going to turn around. This particular loss is like the last time I can possibly see the same thing occur again and still have any hope remaining. That's fireable. Devastating is right before fireable. So you sort of think, okay, the coach has cleaned things up. Things are different now. I have new reason to believe my last shred of hope is there. And now I take this loss and that's devastating. A fireable and devastating loss typically occur outside of year one. It's really hard to have a coach worthy of being fired within one year, but it is possible. And that's when you get one of those two. So that leaves terrible as the worst possible result that you can get. And this is a very bad result, right? This is is a terrible result. And here are the reasons why. Clark Lee, of course, is coaching in his second year, right? At Vanderbilt. This is year two for him. So he's had one year. He's in his second year. The level of athlete that Vanderbilt has is far lower. But this Vanderbilt team, as we've said all year long, Alan, is a good football team. They had beaten a Kentucky team that beat you the week before. Now you're traveling to Vanderbilt, and even though no one is there, their players are still sleeping in their own beds, right? Or they're in a team hotel nearby they're comfortable with, and they're playing an 11 a.m. kick, which is always tricky, and it's really cold outside, right? But with all that being said, this loss is terrible for all the reasons we have mentioned. It sucks all of the momentum right out of the balloon. It was ugly. It was bad football. There were poor coaching at plenty of corners. There was poor playing at plenty of corners. It was not a momentum-building experience. If you watched it on television, it looked bad. It raises a lot of questions. But it doesn't actually, and this is a big statement, here it comes, this game doesn't actually mean anything, and I mean the word anything, for Billy Napier's three-year test yet. And here's the reason why. This does not mean that he will or will not pass this three-year test. Right? No way. Can't be done. This loss is probably not going to affect recruiting, which is the most important stool of the most important leg of that kind of three-legged stool, if you will. This is not going to affect it. This is not a loss that we're going to look back on. If Napier does become successful and say, man, I was really frustrated when we lost to Vanderbilt. It's not going to matter. And I give you again, Urban Meyer's losses his first year here. Urban Meyer had a much better season in year one. The Napier did, but most of you probably can't even remember who Urban Meyer lost to that year, right? It's inconsequential. What you do recall is Urban winning titles and then having mental breakdowns and leaving. That's what you remember. So I think for Billy, terrible loss, very frustrating, not devastating and not fireable, but it raises a lot of questions. It puts some dents in the armor. There's things that must be discussed, but for all the reasons I just listed, perhaps too in depth, I'm going to stick with terrible. What do you have?
2: No, I like that a lot. I I would agree with you that the other two categories are not really on the table. This, this isn't a rivalry game. I mean, Tennessee's loss was devastating because of what they had on the table in front of them. Brutal. That's oh Yeah. That is so painful. And it is Vanderbilt. So it can't just be not good. It's either bad or terrible. And I think you said it really well. Um, If, if Billy goes on to win the SEC title and, you know three years and goes to the playoff, no one's gonna care that he lost to Vanderbilt in this scenario in this game what but what it does do if if things are I don't know close, if it feels like I don't know what how do we feel about this team moving forward, this is a major weight on that this is an anchor potentially that you've shown that you are capable of losing to Vanderbilt, even in year one. And that's really a drag on your resume. And he's got to carry that around all offseason. Now, again, especially if they lose to Florida State. Now, if you beat Florida State, all of a sudden, you know, you're buoyed by a lot of good momentum there. And people, that that fades a good bit. But it's going to be a talking point all offseason. right, this is not a good look for you or the program. Like you said, people take note. If you lose to South Carolina and beat Vanderbilt, probably no one bats an eye. I mean, Florida fans are, are frustrated, but the, the national media is not looking in on that and going, wow, what's happened to Florida? But that just makes headlines. Florida loses to Vanderbilt. Anytime you make a you have a headline loss that that's not good for you or the players or the program.
3: No, it's and not. So I think that-
2: and to your point out, I want to take like
3: a second and focus on. That. It's really good. Like Florida fans feel like this is a headline loss. But. If you just want to kind of gauge how much of a headline loss it is, text friends that you have that are perhaps supporters of USC, actually USC out West or UCLA or Oregon or even Michigan or Ohio state, like text some of them and see if it's registered, like see if they're like, Oh man, you guys are dead. You lost to Vanderbilt. Like all hope is lost, right? They're not going to say that. They're almost, I can almost guarantee you what they're going to say. Oh yeah. I've seen you guys are recruiting. Well, seems like you're building buzz. It's year one for your coach, like whatever. And that's what they're going to generally say. That doesn't mean they're right. But again, when you're really zoomed in on a program, these losses feel horrific. But at the end of the 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 day, Florida's not going to win the East. Couldn't win anything else. We're bowl eligible. We get the extra practices. This loss sucks, as I said. I I don't want to say anything else about it. I've said it sucks really bad. It's a terrible loss. It's very frustrating. It's making me ask questions of the coaches. But it's not more than that. Uh, You shouldn't lose perspective on where we're going. It is a derailment. But the train gets back on the track and goes and plays against Florida State. And then we assess where the train is going. Right now, the train is still heading in a positive direction. However, it's it's slower. It's moving much slower than it was the week before. Right, We've lost a lot of momentum. The train is not going as fast, not as shiny. It's dinged up. It's taking damage. But the train will get to the station at the end of this year. It'll refuel, recharge, and then we'll see where it goes next year. And you will repeat this process for three years. And we'll look and see what the body of data says. And we will find out where Florida is along the way, we could reach that devastating or fireable loss. And the devastating loss could be a good thing. Like Tennessee, you're reaching the mountaintop. You're right there. You've got everything in front of you. You take a loss. that is just so painful. So kind of inexplicable based upon your opponent that it hurts so bad, or you reach fireable where basically your coach is not getting it done and your program is not improving and your train is regressing. Right. And so that that's where we are, but it sucks. I mean, I think you're, you and I are both saying that, Alan, there's there's you're not going to spin this into something positive. It's not positive. And thankfully, Napier did not spin this into something positive either. He's not that kind of guy. And I really like that about him. He didn't go up and say, this is great. We're fine. We're champions of life. He he said it like it was. It was bad. Not championship football. We have things to work on. This dings us. It hurts momentum. He said all the things we're saying right now and credit to him for saying that.
2: OK, coaching corners do it for us.
3: All right, coaching corner number one. Victor Redman writes in uh, scenario here. Third quarter, eight minutes left. Tulsa is beating USF 38-27. USF has had a rough time stopping Tulsa's offense thus far. USF scores a touchdown to cut the lead to 11. There's a penalty on Tulsa, which puts the ball at the 50. Now, you and I discussed this situation when Florida's playing South Carolina. We wanted coaches to be able to utilize that yardage when they get it. And USF chooses to do that. They go with a surprise onside kick. And then they score a touchdown, and they get a two-point conversion, it's 38-35. Essentially, Victor is saying, this seems to maximize EV, but it's a decision not a lot of coaches would make. So you and I talked about this in the stands, the South Carolina game, and I agree with you, Victor. I said the same thing to Alan. I said, hey, I want to see what Napier does here. A lot of coaches just boot this ball through the uprights. At the very least, to me, you should do what Florida chose versus South Carolina, which is to squib kick that thing and see if you can't go get it before the offensive player falls on it. And at the very least, you're giving them worse field position. So I love what USF did here. I think that's very wise and a surprise onside kick is the way to go. Compressed field, even if you don't get it, they get the ball on the 40-yard line, who cares? I love it. Do you feel the same?
2: Uh, I love it. It's so good. Yeah, I think maximizing pain for the other team and being risky in that scenario is great. I mean, just booting out of the end zone does nothing for you. So why not put more pressure on them? So, yeah, what Florida did, that kind of squib kick it, make them have a funky return. Even if you push them back 5 to 10 yards, that's good. Maybe maybe they panic and do something really dumb. But the onside kick is great. That yeah. That is really fun.
3: Yeah, perfect application in that situation and positive EV. All right, so we had Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. Fourth quarter, there are three minutes left. Oklahoma State, again, not looking great, but they're down 28-13. Oklahoma state winds up in a fourth and like a mile inside their own 15 and they decide to punt with two timeouts left uh they wind up getting the ball back much later with a minute left and no timeouts still down 28 13. do you punt the football here or do you go for it
2: man um i don't know i'm i'm struggling to come up with like what is the optimal scenario here and what i would really want to do what I mean, let me just punt this back over to you.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah, I love it. I'm not punting ever. I mean, I've, it's, it's fourth and forever. There's three minutes left in the game. I'm down two scores. I mean, I have to hope for... Look look at Vanderbilt. They converted multiple with penalties by the defense, right? You have to score. I mean, you, you can. If you punt, the game is over. You have a minute left. You'd have to basically score in one play versus a team that's not going to let you do that in almost all certainty. Then you have to get the onside kick and then score again. You've put yourself in that kind of hole. There's no moral victory by saying, hey, I don't want to make the score 35-13. You just you go down swinging. You try something. You hope you get something. Uh, it's a horrible scenario, obviously. The numbers are tiny, but I'll tell you this. Fourth and forever is not a 0% conversion rate. It is There is a chance. It is positive. There is some chance you convert that, and for that reason alone, you have to do it because punting the ball away only leaves you with them dropping the punt, uh, which is something, and outside of that, you've basically ended the game. They can take knees, kick it back, so right. it's over.
2: For sure. I mean, I think that feels obvious to me. I I was trying to come up with a scenario that just wasn't like you have to go for it there because it felt like the obvious choice. I'm never surrendering. I'll say that.
3: Yeah. There's there's no loss mitigation there. Gundy surrendered in a weird year for Mike Gundy and the boys out there at Oklahoma State, obviously uh, just a kind of a falling off the wagon for them. Real, real struggle bus there to end the season.
2: All right, you want to thank some patrons?
3: I do. I'll start. I got Benjamin Waldo, Joe Morrison, Slayerzing, Nick D, like Tony it. Tony Slayball, Jacob Watson, Kevin Weisgerber, Robert Phillips, Franklin Thasher the Third, Coach Hundo. Love that. There you go. Uh, he's not actually at any relation to Hundo Bomb, by the way. He just goes by Coach Hundo. Robert Clarkson, Kevin Miklo, David Chris.
2: All right, Charles Pasquale, Average Size Robert, <laughs> Jason Walker, Seth Thompson, Scotty McLean, John G, Sam Stark, Michael Farinas, Trevor Rose, Macaulay Harnish, Pastor Chauncey, Alex Tucker, Optimotion, Stephen Croyle, Krista Todd, Jaeger Van Wieden, that's great, James McNabb, Jeremy Steele, Sean Hanlon, The Andrews Family, and Scott Appel. And there it is, and that
3: puts an end alan to our patron reading for the 2022 football season took us almost the entire season to get through our supporters historically thank you all so much for contributing to our efforts here we greatly greatly appreciate it
2: all right let's talk about our picks james
3: do we have to no okay we'll skip it then we'll skip it i'm skipping (laughs) the
2: the uh i don't know we've We've fallen off the wagon. The train is off the tracks. Uh, I went three and seven. You went two and eight. I don't, Is this our worst collective week of all time?
3: Yeah, this is our worst season by far. And I think this is a great... It's fun we do this because, obviously, Alan and I are not professional gamblers. But no, this does indicate that this is so much worse for us this year. And that is largely because this has been a really hard year to get any kind of consistency out of these football teams and three and seven and two and eight. Yeah. That's our worst week ever. That, that, that's, that's bad.
2: Wow. Yeah. And I think that shows you what weird results there were this week. So, all right, let's start with one of the weird ones. Uh, Illinois at Michigan, Michigan was favored by 17. They barely, barely win 1917.
3: Really probably shouldn't have won. Illinois, I think, was the better football team in this game. They were the better team in this game. And it's funny because, you know, you had said, hey, Michigan's just better at doing what Illinois is, which objectively was true, stats-wise, talent-wise, et cetera. But Illinois was better than them on this day. And Michigan got a much-needed win, uh, escaped with a victory there, 17-point favorites, and they barely win. And and I want to say this. One reason why I favored a larger playoff for so long, Alan, is there are two types of forecasters those who don't know and those who don't know that they don't know no one knows right even with college football you don't know that's why you play the game that's that's the beauty of sports is each week we come on here and we can say and i can say which i said multiple times this is a lock back up the truck it's a brink's game make the money right and then it's it's like they lose. They'll just outright lose the game. I'm looking at you, Tennessee, versus South Carolina. But right. that's what's so fun about this. and That's what's fun about these games. It's why we watch them. If we knew the result of every single one, if we could definitively say the higher-ranked team was going to win, what's the fun in that? So I think you have to really embrace this chaos rather than looking at it like, wow, Michigan, what a trash program. I barely beat Illinois. And recognize the difference between these teams is perhaps much smaller on some Saturdays than all of us care to admit.
2: Well said, all right, another crazy finish. TCU at Baylor. I'd kind of given up on Baylor, but they're winning this game right to the end. TCU does the fire drill field goal where they run onto the field and kick it with no time remaining and win. It, w- it was awesome.
3: What a magical season. And again, I'll be the first person to say TCU is, I don't think, in the same class as some of these top teams, especially Georgia, but who really is. But either way, if TCU's in the SEC, do they have multiple losses? Almost certainly. I don't care. Celebrate this for what it is. This is an absolutely unbelievable season from Sonny Dykes, from Lincoln Riley's brother as the OC out there. Uh, I mean, it's hard to find a team that's been as clutch as these guys, Allen. Every single week they find a way to win, and this one was spectacular on the road at Baylor to get that W rushing the field goal unit out there as time's expiring for a walk-off win. What a, what a season for them
2: amazing uh yeah i i don't know I, if you're a tcu fan you just got to be on cloud nine i love it all right uga kind of sleepwalks their way they win 16 to 6 at kentucky i mean was kentucky ever going to score in double digits i guess was the question
3: the number one pick just decided he didn't want to put a lot of good games on film this year and that way he can uh he can just you know continue to show you how good he is by maintaining his draft status, despite not winning or throwing for a lot of yards or really doing a whole lot of anything that's too impressive at this level. But all jokes aside, this is what a really good football team does though, is not, you're just not going to win every game by a million points, right? And Kentucky has got a track record of frustrating opponents. They're very good at this, but this is also the wackiness of the sec. Georgia beat Vanderbilt 55 to nothing. Vanderbilt beat Kentucky when Allen last week, Vanderbilt beat Kentucky last week. And then you have this result where UGA goes on the road and wins by 10, which is seemingly remarkable, but also it's football and that happens. So for UGA, they'll take that win. They'll move on. Number one team in the country, and we'll see what they do this weekend
2: versus a very overmatched Georgia Tech team. One team that did hold up there in the bargain was Clemson. They crushed Miami 10 to 40 to 10 and kind of opened the door back again to maybe having a shot at the playoff. Probably not, but a little more feasible now.
3: Yeah, I think regardless, if you're, again, if you're a Clemson fan or you're following the program and there's a lot of questions about Dabo, he's in the ACC. Yes, sure, that's all true. But He's going to win 10 games again this season. He's been remarkably consistent. It has not been pretty. However, the program's still getting results.
2: This next one, I got to go second. So I picked Texas at Kansas, and they won 55 to 14. Maybe their best game of the season.
3: Yeah, classic Texas result here. I thought maybe I'd exercise the demons with my previous pick of Texas. Uh, I had not. But again, good win for them. They feel like they maybe are like trending in a slightly positive direction but it's just hard to get a beat on this program they are also no, they're also not consistent at all and that's what you no. want to see if you get a true trend up is you want to see consistency and they're just a week-to-week program they're dangerous but they're week-to-week
2: right they look terrible the week before So oh
3: horrible i know that's what i'm saying we talked about that the week before and so they're very inconsistent but again they can put Really good results out there uh, against an overmatched Kansas team, but they can also put up some head scratchers.
2: All right, maybe the most surprising result of the year.
3: Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, hundred, absolutely. Tennessee.
2: Not that they lost to USC, which would is surprising in itself, but the score here, sixty-three to thirty-eight. I, I'm flabbergasted by this.
3: It was unreal. Look, Spencer Rattler, obviously, at one point in time, was a Heisman Trophy candidate, number one overall recruit out of high school. Just never lived up to it, but boy, did he live up to it in this game. And credit South Carolina. They had an ultra-aggressive game plan, really oriented around throwing the football as much as possible. They just were slinging it all over the yard with a ton of success. Really exciting to watch. And Tennessee, this sounds crazy, Tennessee just could not hang with them offensively, which is quite the statement to make, but they couldn't despite the fact that Tennessee was lighting up the scoreboard as well. Really exciting game. But again, wonderful reminder that truly that truly every single week, anything can happen. Tennessee does not have the talent of a Bama or Georgia, which again can survive kind of that 16, six game versus Kentucky or other games where they're just so talented. Tennessee is not that far off from talent in South Carolina. And ultimately, the saddest news, of course, is that Hooker, who had a really wonderful season, tears his ACL with a non-contact injury. Of course, that's his last game in a Tennessee uniform. And this is a devastating loss, Alan. Uh, I've been supporting Tennessee's rise to prominence, and they were locked into the playoff. Everybody was talking about it coming into this game. If they just went out over South Carolina and Vanderbilt, they're in the playoff. They're back to prominence What an incredible, incredible setback. I can't even imagine Tennessee fans wanting to watch this Vanderbilt game. I mean, this is so painful. You almost just want your season to end. Uh, So if you love Tennessee losing, which most, of course, Gator fans do, and really in this case, I do too in these scenarios. Like I want Tennessee back so they're good so it's fun for us. Uh, But that is a soul-crushing loss.
2: Yeah, and we're going to talk about that game with Vanderbilt next in the next segment yes we are all right i picked louisville for some reason but they pull it off they beat nc state 25 to 10
3: yeah i think you just went back and forth and decided why not and great decision by you again nc state a team that has felt overvalued really the whole year the acc hard to get a read on louisville hard to get a read on and they get a nice win there
2: another really surprising game here old miss just i don't know takes a dump on the field here, I guess, and loses 27 to 42. Now the Ole Miss is a perfect team, but they had everything to play for here still. And Arkansas has been way up, way down. They were way up this week.
3: And they obviously had their quarterback back. They're a very different team when he's playing, but regardless, this game was at some point in time, 28 to three, 35 to three, maybe it was way out of hand. And that was utterly shocking. This game was not nearly as close as 42-27. Almost all of that production came in the fourth quarter when the game was well over. And again, look, Vegas knew something. We said it, right? LSU went there and wins 13-10. Did not have to face Arkansas starting quarterback. Perhaps that game would have been very different for LSU. Had they done that? Old Miss goes there and gets smoked.
2: All right. This was maybe the most fun game. USC comes out on top against UCLA, 48-45 back and forth, really fun Pac-12 game.
3: Yeah, I watched almost all this game while I was watching Florida Vanderbilt film, uh, and this was a great game. And obviously, hats off to Lincoln Riley having a really good season. Chip Kelly's got UCLA in a really good spot. UCLA loses two heartbreaking games in a row. Just brutal, brutal losses there for them. Uh, really entertaining game. And again, Lincoln Riley, a wizard of coaching offense just a really really fun offense to watch tons of production all kinds of stuff going on uh good stuff for usc so usc still a contender in the playoff
2: yeah all right oklahoma state oklahoma bedlam oklahoma rising from the ashes as oklahoma state continues just a nosedive they win 28 13
3: yeah, hard to hard to read anything into this with Oklahoma State's offense just gone, sort of. So is Oklahoma trending up? I don't know yet. Uh, either way, definitely a weird year for Oklahoma not to have them ranked and an even weirder year from Oklahoma
2: State with the second half finish they've had. Another really fun game here, Pac-12 after dark, Utah, Oregon. Oregon somehow survives 2017.
3: This is as fun for me as the Pac-12 has been probably since Pete Carroll was coaching at USC. Yeah. Uh, it is a great, great league. A lot of fun, a lot of good quarterbacks, a Lot, just a lot of good stuff going on. And generally, I would not say that about the Pac-12, but it is true this year. I've really enjoyed watching them play. Uh, they're very competitive with each other, which is very compelling. And this was another great game. Went right down to the end, and Oregon gets a very, very good win. There was no Daytona Steve last week. He's still somewhere recovering from a, a year of beatings we'll see we'll see what he comes up with this week <laughs> or thanksgiving uh, sec roundup lsu over uab forty-one ten. alabama over austin p 34 nothing mississippi state over etsu 56 7 and m beats umass 20 to 3 not pretty there wow auburn beats western kentucky 41 17 Auburn has a lot of buzz. I don't know if you're following this program at all right now with Cadillac Williams there, Alan, but like the fans are supporting him. There's like this massive, like family environment and upswelling going on. It's almost like a little revolution. It's really fascinating uh, yeah. with what he's There's done reason there. It's a hire a yeah, go ahead. Former, former player. I was going to say to kind of like really like heal, a lot of the frustration that's gone on, it's almost like a like a, like a a band's reunion tour or something. I don't know. It's really wild stuff, though, the feels that are coming out of that program.
2: Yeah, I think this is a, a reason why you should always hire a former player as your interim because they can rally the program. They can continue to recruit for you because they're not just a guy who's going to say, yeah, come here. I'm going to be gone here in two weeks. Like, Cadillac like Williams is always an Auburn guy, you know, no matter what. So I th- think that's like the way to go if you could ever do that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's proving it out now. And he's obviously a very charismatic guy, very inspirational, without a doubt. Missouri takes care of New Mexico State 45-14. Not a lot of big stuff going on there. All right, news. We do have some big news, Alan. A lot of you probably saw this. Florida's other four-star quarterback commitment, uh, Marcus Stokes, gets kicked off of the football team. And by kicked off, I mean he's a pledge. So obviously he's not on the football team, but they basically pull his commitment Uh, for saying some racially insensitive words on a internet video, social media video, where he's singing to a song. Uh, So that leaves Florida with just uh, Rashada. I did want to ask you a question here, though. It seems like a lot of the commentary on this was that perhaps this was too harsh by Florida's program. Uh, It doesn't matter whether that's the case or not. Do you think... Here's my question. Do you think there's any possible any possible run to the idea that Florida didn't want to carry a second quarterback in this situation and they wanted to free the scholarship up. And this was sort of a convenient way to go, or that in fact, this was just a, Hey, we're not going to have this. We can't handle this. Not a good fit.
2: Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I was wondering if he was going to look elsewhere regardless. So maybe this is just a convenient thing for them.
3: Could be. Yeah, it could be. Who knows? Either way, that is news. That made news. You may have seen that. Uh, And now that brings us to FSU prep. The
2: Criminals, my most hated team by far. Me too. By far. Oh, man. I don't like the fact that they're doing better. They are better. They're ranked. Um, And they've been better every week. Um, Mike Norvell is obviously much further into his rebuild than. Billy Napier is, but uh, yeah, they look good. They look feisty and we're going to play them on a Friday night and they're favored by nine and a half. Remember Florida won 24, 21 last year with, you know, a walking dead team post Dan Mullen getting fired. Florida state team who had a lot to play for trying to get bowl eligible. They did not. So quite a turnaround from that moment. And this game is on a Friday night. I know you dislike this. You want to do a little rant? No, I'm out of
3: rants. I'm so emotionally spent from the USA tie and the Vanderbilt loss and a malaise and, and just not being so, I I was so excited about this game. We talked about it last week. It was setting up like an old school, Florida, Florida state, like Florida state's playing well. We're potentially playing well and just feels like the shine is off this game. I will be excited watching it. I hate Florida state. I wish it was not on Friday night for many reasons. Um, but, you know, this game is is <laughs> uber important to both programs. For Florida State, you've had a really nice season. People are feeling good about what's happening. You know, I think Florida State fans are not enamored with necessarily the overall direction of the program. Recruiting, et cetera, doesn't feel like they're going to be in the hemisphere of winning titles. But they obviously are very good this year. They've been playing very, very well in their past four games. And they would love to beat Florida. If they lose to Florida... The entire season for Florida State is is null and void. Like all the good feels they have are just flat out gone. Losing to a year one Florida team, it's been a mess at times and good at other times. And if you're Florida Allen, if you win this game, it writes the wrongs, truly, of the Vanderbilt loss. It really does. You beat a Florida State team that's much better than Vanderbilt. You beat your arch rival. You continue your winning streak over them. You carry great vibes into the offseason, into recruiting, and you reset for year two where Florida's expectations will be much higher than they were for year one. And a loss of course is going to have a two game losing streak entering into a bowl game where the program is going to have a huge transfer. Lots of guys will leave just because that's what's going to happen. And you get this kind of bowl game. It's just sort of not a real game and you limp into the finish line. So there's a lot at stake in this football game, a lot at stake into, into what you said it'll be happening on Friday night in front of a national televised audience on black Friday. So it should be a lot of eyeballs on it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't mind it being on Friday night. Actually, this is kind of a, this game doesn't have like a traditional time slot, or, you know, it's kind of a weird moment for both these programs. It's not like it's getting lost. It's going to be a fun night. You know, a lot of people are going to watch it. No, so it won't be, be lost.
3: It. I think it'll have more eyes on it. I just think for my own rhythms in life, it's hard. I'm always out of state. And so it's to get back and watch this when it's in the swamp will be tough. Yeah, you just, know, maybe you if, know.
2: if they do it, we'll see. It could just be a one off.
3: Yeah, right, one off, fine, fine. One off, fine. I'll survive it. All right, big homies culture, culture corner here. Big homies culture corner. There we go. Uh, this has been very popular so we're going to keep this going uh, i had some questions about what are you going to do next year when you repeat these same teams i don't know that's what a big homie he is the one creating the culture corner he sends them in i read them uh, let's alternate these categories here alan i'll start with mascot background seminal history began with bands of creek indians from georgia and alabama who migrated to florida in the 1700s groups of lower creeks moved to florida to get away from the dominance of the upper creeks The 1770s is when Florida indigenous people collectively became known as Seminoles, a name meaning wild people or runaways. In addition to Creeks, Seminoles included uh, names I cannot pronounce, other Indian tribes. I don't want to ruin those, so I will not say them. Uh, The population also increased with runaway slaves who found refuge amongst the Native American tribes. Of course, the Seminoles have been able largely to evade the criticism that has gone on with other teams like the Cleveland Indians, now Guardians, Atlanta Braves, etc. Because the Seminole tribe has long been uh, supposedly proudly associated with the state of Florida and, of course, this program, which is why you don't hear too much about that.
2: Yeah, and uh, one of their mantras is unconquered, which is you know, always funny when they get conquered, but it references the descendants of the modern Seminoles. This is kind of interesting. A group of just 300 people who alluded capture by the U.S. Army in the 1800s. Today, there's over 2,000 Seminole tribe members, uh, highly organized, apparently. Uh, and in the late 1950s, there's some federal legislation allowing Indian reservations to become separate enti- entities from the state governments. So, yeah, I... Uh, that i'm sure it's a, a note of pride for them it, it's easy to make fun of Florida state when they get conquered to slap up you know uh photoshop there but oh it's great pride i'm super
3: happy yeah i'm super happy they adopted that for their football team because it is an endless meme and i love it all right we have we have an interesting this is this i think is very interesting so every week big homie brings something that's really pretty fun and this one i think is the winner this week in 1998, or sorry, 1988, 1988, Florida State traveled to Death Valley to take on Clemson. So that Death Valley, not LSU. They tied the game 21-21 with just over a minute to play. And as the clock winded down, the Seminoles lined up to punt. But then head coach Bobby Bowden, that's right, Bowden in 1988, had a trick up his sleeve. The snap went to the up man Leroy Butler, who put the ball between his legs and faked a handoff to a teammate. Butler then raced up the left sideline to the Tigers' four-yard line to set up the game-winning field goal. The fun fact here is that that very Leroy Butler went on to create the Lambo Leap in 1993. So he not only had an iconic play, he actually created a very iconic Lambeau Leap, which lives on to this day. So quite the eventful football life
2: for Mr. Leroy Butler. All right, fan reputation. I'm going to quote, <laughs> I'm going to quote Big Homey here, a bunch of losers, J.K., Sorta. Of. So <laughs> yeah, right. Go. So
3: kidding, kidding, not kidding. I love that actually, because this is a rivalry and this stuff is all tongue in cheek. Right. Of course. Yeah, I know plenty of people went to Florida State. You do too. There's some great people that went there. But on this particular week, there's nobody good that went there and they're all a bunch of losers and that's what we hope for. And if you don't hope for that, then get your mind right. It's a rivalry. <laughs> all right. The Garnet and Gold yeah. guys. Hold Alan, just yes, a second please, here. Uh, please. Let's yes, please, the,
2: please. Just an update here on Florida State fans. Did you know that recently they changed the application process for Florida state (laughs) i did not oh yeah it's it's just they streamlined it all you have to do is show them your uf rejection letter and they'll just slide you right in always a classic
3: Always, you know i've heard it a hundred times but it never gets old yeah i love that that's (laughs) the the same thing is like, what does a Florida State uh, student and Florida student have in common? They they both come yeah, into, into Florida State, uh, exactly right. There's a million more, uh, which is obviously great. <laughs> so it's that kind of week. We love it and true, and, and also true. that this. We're just speaking facts here. Look, this is an analytical podcast. We try to stay objective. So those are some facts for you. Uh, since 1998, the Garnet and Gold guys. I didn't realize they've been around this long. That's pretty wild. Yeah, are selected by the Florida State Baptist Christian Ministry every two years based on their leadership qualities and faith i knew none of this i thought they were just random dudes dressing up with glitter which i've always thought's kind of weird but whatever each game day the garnet and gold guys purchased up to six pounds of glitter how big homie knows this i'm assuming is google but i really hope he like called them and figured it out that's 42 pounds per season for home games not including the base layer of paint it can take over one hour just to get their full body ready uh, and much longer to remove it and I don't know what this means, but the landlords of the Garnet and Gold guys hate them. And I guess they
2: come home all glittered <laughs> up and get glitter everywhere.
3: <laughs> yeah, of course, right. And then, lastly, quote: "These nerds ride a tandem bike to every game." <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's just coming in, coming it. in strong with the ending.
2: There. <laughs> Big homie, my new fave. I love that this is like a prize to be won. Like it's I, so I'm weird, achieve something, I get to get glittered up. I mean, I'm all for crazy traditions and really like going for it and being over the top when you're, especially when you're in college. But this feels like a, like you lost your fantasy football league. So you have to go glittered up to a game. Not that this is the thing you want to do.
3: That's exactly what I was going to say. This feels like a punishment, not a reward, but, uh, Hey, and you have to ride a tandem bike. Like, no, thank you. Like that is, that's great. Alan that you, you nailed it. I feel like that's exactly what it is. It's coming in last place in your fantasy football league, and that's what you have to do. Nobody wants to do that, but they do it and they think they love it. So they love it. Florida State being Florida State, I guess. All right. Tell us about their coaching staff.
2: All right. Mike Norvell, he's in his third season, James. He's 16 and 16. They had a COVID
3: year. B Red has the quote three year test on there, which obviously B Red right. is not
2: passing at this point. Do you give him a pass because of COVID?
3: I think, no, I don't give him a pass. So right now he's, he's going to fail it in my book. But I do think right. we talked about this. I think that just because you don't pass your three-year test doesn't mean that you actually always fire that coach, right? Sometimes you say, there's enough here that I give him another year. But I think the reality with Mike Norvell is, with the recruiting the way that it is, he's trending in a direction where he's never going to win a national title. So if I am Florida State, I've seen enough if you want to be more gracious you wait one more year you give him next year and see if he can't have kind of a big step through but he's just not recruiting at a level that uh, allows him to win in my opinion so So that's a big problem if
2: they were in the top 10 and they were having this kind of rise you would be like very bullish on him right
3: way bullish oh yeah if their recruiting class is top five this year and they're tier one tier two and they're winning like this then it would be very different but i think right now it's kind of like hey Nice football season on the field, a lot of good coaching going on. We're improving, but if you don't get the talent, this is what you're kind of going to get. And I don't think Florida state wants to be just, you know, going eight and three, nine and three every year. All right.
2: Talent. They're 17th, which is way lower than they normally are. Obviously, Um UF is 12th coaching staff, offensive coordinator, Alex Atkins is in his first season and a familiar name to everybody in the state of Florida. At D.C., Randy Shannon in his first season and Adam Fuller in his third season. So, Cody there. Um offensive personnel. You'll recognize some of these names. Of course, Jordan Travis, who we've made fun of on this podcast probably a lot. He's currently playing really well towards the end of the year here. Uh, he's got over 2,500 yards passing, 21 TDs, five yard, five TDs rushing. He's got 284 yards rushing. Only four picks. Um, Their top running backs: eight hundred yards, five hundred yards. That's Benson and Trey Benson and TreShaun Ward. I also got another guy, Lawrence Toafili, who's got eighty-eight carries for four hundred twenty-two yards. So obviously not as big of a yards per carry there. And Johnny Wilson leads their team in targets. He's got thirty-three receptions, about six hundred fifty yards, and five TDs. So. A lot of guys they hand the ball to, but one guy that they primarily throw to.
3: Yeah, in reality though, they're they're they really spread the ball around. They're fifty four percent run, forty-six percent pass. Obviously, Norvell was known as an offensive wizard at Memphis, kind of had those battles with Scott Frost back in the day, uh, lighting up the scoreboard, kind of the first one to sixty would win. They do throw their tight end quite a bit, and again, they throw the ball to everyone, all their receivers, all their tight ends, a lot of balance production uh johnny wilson leads the team in targets but he only has 62 so if you recall you know we've kind of chronicled some teams that have 100 targets for a receiver but just c- 62 so they really spread it around they run play action 28 percent of the time not a lot of pre-snap motion not a lot of rpos uh, they're much more of a spread it out lineup kind of go fast um, almost all shotgun no huddle just go fast run routes kind of put you on your heels that way not a lot of 12 personnel, mainly as a goal line package, 18% or so, and a ton of 11 personnel, 75% of 11 personnel. So they're going to they're run that almost every play. They throw to all depths pretty well, although all six INTs have come on passes longer than six yards. They do throw to all depths quite uh, regularly. There is an edge, of course, to Florida State in the running game, not surprising. They are 16th in the country in yards per rush. Florida's 103rd in the passing game. They are 16th in yards per pass. Florida's 101st. Third down conversion, they are 7th in the country, Allen. Florida's 127th. They are 26th in the country, and INT is thrown in 47th in sacks allowed. Overall, they're 15th in points per play. UF's 87th in points per play is allowed. So, look, if you've been sleeping on Florida State this year, and I know they play in the ACC, look, the level of athlete, level of defense is very different. I totally agree. I'll give that to you. But those numbers are for real, and this team has been surging in their past four games, absolutely surging. This is a very, very solid unit, Alan,
2: yeah, and you know Jordan Travis is you know he's not the best thrower of the football, but he's effective in what they ask him to do. He's a good athlete, and you know their style of play is gonna lead them to if they're going well, accumulate a lot of yards and a lot of points, and they're gonna they're gonna put pressure on you and you know they've done a good job of protecting the ball, which they haven't done in the past their their offensive line is much better than it has been previously, that was their Achilles heel for like a decade and they have finally shorted up enough to, you know, have success on that side of the ball.
3: Yeah, they certainly have in fact, so much so that they shred five man pressures. It's one of their best um, passing tactics as far as like w- what they excel against. They do really, really well there. Uh, they're, their worst. This is kind of funny. They're worst versus a four man rush. So they're, they're excellent versus three man rush. They destroy five man pressures, but basically just bringing your base four tends to be the best way to go against them. They are solid in almost every defensive scheme you bring, but they are they are struggling against cover two man, 30% completion rate. Uh, they have 100, 100 quarterback rating versus man overall. So teams are having success against them uh, in man. 63%, I'm sorry, they're having success in man rather. 63% completion rate uh, versus zone, 109 rating uh, in this case. So, their weaknesses really are very small and in between and that tends to be cover two again 30% comp rate cover two man 66 qb rating in cover two zone so appreciably lower than what they're doing versus man with 100 and 109 rating i give you those ratings kind of tell you again tactically if i'm tony i see that and i say look i'm gonna i'm gonna put a lot of cover two man and a lot of cover two in the game plan and i'm gonna find ways to disguise it so they don't know which one is which But it's clear that Florida State's having an issue with those defenses, and I'm certainly not going to bring five-man pressures because they are torching that. I'm not going to bring one. I'm just not going to do it. They're killing it. I'm not going to give it to them. They like it, right? Uh, They do pretty well under pressure, 43% completion rate and a 60 quarterback rating under pressure. That's actually pretty good, uh, generally speaking, and that's largely because... He's going to run around quite a bit. And you mentioned this, Alan, just a second ago. Jordan Travis is not a great passer of the football, but unlike what I think Napier is doing with AR, Norvell is running a super, super quarterback-friendly offense for Jordan Travis. He's making it really easy for him. He calls a lot of solo run plays where Jordan just runs the ball. He just really makes the game simple for him, as simple as he possibly can. And I think that's what's largely led to his positive numbers and obviously these excellent stats you're hearing. Uh, All in all, FSU is a solid offense and they're on a roll. They are, and Florida does not run a lot of dime, but they are also appreciably worse versus dime than nickel. So the weakness is there. Play some dime, play cover two man, and play cover two in zone. NC State had the most success against Florida State, holding them to just a 50% completion rate, but nothing about their game plan suggested why. It was far more likely in that game that Florida State themselves was their own worst enemy. Even watching film, it wasn't that NC State really did a whole lot. It's that Florida State can be their own worst enemy. They're still inconsistent. They mirror Florida in several ways. Uh, I think, again, as you see these numbers here, Alan, there's a lot more consistent with what they're putting out there on film each week, but they are still a unit that can be their own worst enemy.
2: Right. So theoretically, if you could run a competent back-end zone and get good pressure with your front four, that seems like that would be effective against them, right?
3: Yeah, I think so. I again I think you know, for Florida, what which what, what I say that we're doing? I think you need to mix in cover two man, cover two zone, rush four. If you're gonna bring pressure, you know, you need to bring it and you need to get home and you need to bring it uh not five man, you gotta bring it. So I think you sell out, right? You bring six, you place a man, you get home, you get home home. Florida's been not as likely to do that. They tend not to want to do that. Uh, but if you're going to bring one extra man, they have been killing that stuff. So again, you can be hard at it. You can try see if you're different. But I think the biggest pickup for me is dime, and then cover two man, and then cover two zone. That is the that's the smoking gun. That's a weakness they have struggled with those defenses. I think Florida should employ those, and we'll see if they choose to do that.
2: All right, let's talk about their defense. A uh, couple good numbers here. They're they're sixth nationally in sack percentage, and they have a couple excellent players in the secondary. Jamie Robinson and Kevin Knowles at corner, those guys can play. They're going to probably play it on Sunday and their biggest high profile transfer. Well, I don't know if he was high profile, but he was, he's very pract- productive. Productive was very sought after everybody wanted him he's from Albany, Jared verse. He's got seven and a half sacks. He shows up all over the place. Big guy. Who's fast. It's hard to believe he started off at Albany. It um, looks right at home on that Florida state defense. So um, they definitely got some dudes there, um, and they can play.
3: They definitely can. This defense is good, and here's, here's the numbers to back it up. Uh, strategically, they bring pressure 24% of the time, so not a lot. When they do bring pressure, they bring mostly five. They play 41% man defense. That's an exceptional amount. If uh, those of you that might recall Randy Shannon here at Florida or anywhere he's been, he prefers to play very simple football. So he's the total opposite of Tony, kind of line up, and if you have the dudes, just play defense, right? Nothing fancy, nothing smart. You can, you can think of some of the best defenses in history have been this way. Of course, the Legion of Boom in, in Seattle was this way. They ran cover three. They rarely changed what they did. You knew what they were doing. It was, could you execute on it? That's kind of the mentality of this Florida State defense, and they are excelling in large part because they have several excellent cover corners. Uh, With that man defense, there's a 63 quarterback rating against them, which is pretty solid versus zone. It's a 93 rating against them in the running game. UF does have an edge. Obviously we're fifth in yards per rush. One of the best in the country, but Florida state's very solid. 35th in yards per rush allowed passing game wise, super strong edge to Florida state yards per pass for Florida is 68 yards per pass is fifth. This is a top elite secondary unit here. Alan third down conversion wise, UF is 57th and Florida State's 22nd in third down conversions allowed. Uh, Florida State's 60th in ints generated and sixth, of course, as you mentioned, in sacks generated. Their DEs and linebackers are generating most of their pressure. They have three DEs generating a ton of pressures and two linebackers doing that as well. So they can pressure you with their front four. When they bring pressure, they just need one more. Uh, they play a lot of man behind that. They're very successful. Very consistent, good tackling team. This is a good defensive unit that Florida's facing here, and they've gotten better and better, it seems like, with every single game this season.
2: All right, if you're Billy Napier here, what, what are you game planning here?
3: Well, I think Florida's got to be prepared to beat Florida State man and man We said the same thing a couple weeks ago when we faced South Carolina, and Florida answered that call with running the ball really well, passing the ball not so much, but generally speaking – When We've asked Florida to do this. It hasn't quite been there most of the time this season. They're going to have to do it in this game. Quick game here is as important as ever as Florida State will generate a lot of pressure. It's amazing how many guys on their team have double-digit pressures. Florida's offensive line, as good as it can be, is going to face some heat in this one. I think it's best for Florida to spread... Florida State out, try to get favorable matchups. Their secondary is very good, but they do have three weaknesses, in my opinion. Their safety, Akeem Dent, is being heavily targeted and giving up a lot of catches, as is their corners, Renardo Green and then Amaron Cooper. So those are the weaknesses. If you can target those guys, get matchups against them, certainly Florida should attempt to do so. I think if Florida's going to play 12 personnel, Alan, that's going to play right into Florida State's hands only two receivers out there you get their two best corners going you're never going to throw the ball against their safety in that kind of situation that does not seem to work out well if you want to have success versus this florida state team you got to get matchups and getting matchups is largely meaning you're going to put four and five guys out there running routes so you can actually get to a safety or get to a nickel and force that guy to cover in space all in all on paper this feels like a very bad matchup for florida and that's why you see vegas giving it that nine and a half or ten point spread it's not that florida just lost to Vanderbilt. Uh, it's that on paper, really, this Florida State team poses a
2: lot of challenges for Florida. For sure. Yeah. Reading just the raw numbers <clears throat> is not good. Reading the matchup stats is not good. This is going to be a tall task for Florida, for sure.
3: It is indeed. If we Are look you- at uh, yeah, a few special categories here to finish, I've separated yeah. this extra one. So field goal kicking, Florida actually has an edge here. Florida State's been woeful. Uh, with their field goal kicking so there is that otherwise special teams edge goes to florida state turnover margin edge goes to florida penalties edge goes to florida and time of possession significant edge to florida state there Uh, i think the only one that could matter there in a close game of course is that the
2: field kicking for florida state has been pretty bad
3: so that could potentially matter if it does come down to that
2: all right injury suspensions depth chart stuff again we're working blind here does ventral miller somehow get unsuspended for the first half in an appeal. I, I would bet Florida tries that. Seems highly I don't know unlikely if they'll be successful. Yeah, it yeah. seems unlikely. So seems like he'll miss the first half. Are Pearsall and Henderson back for this game? We have no idea. Yeah, Pearsall so seems to be leave. a
3: concussion protocol. So where's he with that?
2: Yeah. Um so that could leave Florida really shorthanded if if it's missing those two guys. Um so that's tough. We don't know at this point for sure.
3: All right, keys to the game. This is going to be interesting here. Alan, you go first. First start with defense, then go offense.
2: Defensively, I think this is a tall task here. Um, I don't like any real aspect of our our unit against theirs. Um, I think they can be successful in limiting them, but it's hard to envision a, a scenario where they really just put the clamps down on them. So trying to find a way that, you know, if they are successful, what would that look like? Um, And I think you have to limit Travis and make him uncomfortable. So can you get enough pressure on him with with just your front four as you uncovered there, like maybe just sending an extra guy is going to work against you. And I don't think Florida is going to be like crazy and sending six or seven or something like that. So yeah it it's hard for me to find a stat here that like really highlights it. and maybe I'll just go with something simple, like is he get over two hundred yards passing if if he's if he's well above that, I think that it's gonna be a long day for Florida. And offensively for Florida, they're gonna need to run the ball effectively to win this game. I, I don't think they can just line up and throw at Florida State secondary. They haven't shown their willingness to do that. And this needs to be like a big day on the ground. It's there. It can it can be done. Um I don't know if Florida will unleash that or unlock that, but let, let's go back to the trusty yards per carry. I want to see at least four and a half yards per carry.
3: I like that. All right, I'm gonna start with offense. Uh, I think it's clear now we're at the end of the season, right? Last regular season game. We got enough data on this team to know that this 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 team really cannot win a football game versus a good team unless they run the ball well. They haven't proved they can do it yet, even if they throw for some backdoor yardage like they did last week with 400. It doesn't matter. It's not going to be a win. They have to run the ball well, and this matchup is not favorable for them to do so. I'm not high on this, but I think if Florida's going to win the football game, if they're truly going to win it, against this kind of unit they're going to have to have at least 175 yards rushing. That's not a million yards, but it's it's enough that they can run the rest of their offense and have some balance and be able to threaten you with both the run and the pass. If they go one dimensional versus Florida State like they were against Vanderbilt, it's not going to work out for them. Florida, unfortunately, is just sort of stuck not being an accurate passing team. They cannot consistently move the chains with that. They need to be able to run the ball in this game. So rushing yards there. I think on the flip side I think if you look at Florida State, there's two keys to, I think, slowing them down, and one is going to be the completion percentage of that football team, and that's going to be, I think, for Florida to win this game, they're going to need Travis to be under 60%, so I want completion percentage under 60%, and I want his rushing yards to be under 30 I think if Florida does that, that tends to be the recipe for when Florida State struggles, uh, on offense right if he's above 60 percent if he's running the ball well if either of those two things happen it's probably not going to be great for Florida. defense if they can do those two things I think Florida's got a real shot to win the game
2: okay you ready for your prediction I don't want
3: to be but I'm ready okay Florida's now staring down the barrel of losing two games in a row and a finishing six and six limping into the finish line when in reality they were staring at being able to go eight and four, which would have been vastly different, right? Just a totally different feel. Significant game here. Florida wants this game. I have no doubt they're going to show up with everything they have. But man, all the all the momentum here feels negative. Allen. no venture off for the first half most likely. Major receivers out. Florida State is peaking. They are showing consistency. They are playing at home. Everything about this feels absolutely wrong. But I also know that Florida definitely has a very real chance to win this football game. I am in no way, shape, or form counting them out. But I do think at this stage, the way these coaches have coached, what I've seen from them tactically on the field this season, what I've seen from Florida State on film and statistically, I don't think Florida gets the job done in this football game. And I think they lose thirty to twenty, or by a score somewhere plus or minus in that range. What do you got?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna. My pick is not based on the Vanderbilt loss. I think Florida could rebound from that. I think just taking the Tennessee South Carolina as an example, you can play terribly one week and excellent. Uh, th- this is a matchup situation. Momentum is is a factor, but um, yeah, I just don't like it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on your score. That's what I had too. Wow. Look at that.
3: (laughs) Look at that. Yikes. Well, hopefully we're wrong. Look, we were wrong last week and we can be wrong again this week. And I want to be wrong. Yeah. The worst possible again. I don't want to limp into the finish. It does not feel good. All right. I do want to ask one question before we transition here into the slate and end this show. A lot of talk, of course, has been made, Alan. We talked about this last about a month ago and we've touched on it, but I wanted to touch on it without leaving this episode. Your current thoughts, just your current thoughts on, on Billy Napier as OC, you know, kind of on-field quarterback coach, passing game coordinator and head coach all at the same time. Do you, do you feel better about this, worse about this, or the same as you felt at the start of the season or, end or the midpoint of the season? Like what's the trend for you on how you feel about that?
2: I don't know. Um, I don't think it's a slam dunk that he has to hire somebody like, or it's just, a travesty, but it feels like you could just upgrade there so easily. Like you could bring in a guy to help you, that why wouldn't you? And so yeah. that that's where I'm at with him.
3: I like that. Yeah, I'm feeling worse about it than I never felt great about it, as we talked about. We kind of gave you examples of guys that are generally known as geniuses that still have either a passing game coordinator or an OC. Uh, examples out there are Andy Reid. If you're a Dolphins fan like me, Mike McDaniel, he's got an OC. Uh, and you can go on and on. Mike Leach has an OC and passing game coordinator, right? And Mike Leach is like the inventor, like the father of an entire offensive system. So you can go on and on and on. I mean, you can just keep on going. Uh, so he's he's really out on his own island with this idea that he can do all these jobs at once. And I think if you want to prove that you should do those things, you need your offense to be exemplary, right? To prove that you have to be like exemplary at that. It still seems to me, Alan, that Billy Napier's best skill sets are as a culture builder, a team leader, a recruiter, a, a foundation builder, right, and like a system guy. On field coaching, to me, overall, the whole package just has been trending down. When I look at only offense, it it's, does not. It does not show or flash what I think you would see. And and you know, look, you can say it's talent issues and other stuff. That's just my opinion based on what I've seen. To me, I'm trending down on his offensive abilities. Uh, He can do whatever he wants. I'll be the first to say that. We'll sit on this podcast and we'll evaluate his three-year test, whether he chooses to hire someone else or do it himself. But I am more down on that. So I know a lot of you are asking and you're curious about that. That's where I am. I'm more down on him taking on all those roles, especially given what other actual offensive gurus and geniuses are doing. And he's not known as that. So again, you have to ask yourself a question. Why am I doing this if the actual truly recognized and highly successful offensive geniuses are not doing this and I am, what makes me think that my system is better? Why is this a better way to go? Will everyone else do this in the future? Do I have the new meta strategy? And it seems to me like most of those questions would be answered with a no, Alan. That's why I'm trending more down on this. I think you got to give the guy a shot if he wants to do it, fine. To me, I think it could be too much. So we'll find that out and we'll keep following that story, of course, to see kind of what's going on and what's happening. But I think in general... I will say this, and Alan, you could tell me if you want. At this point in time, for this part of the season, I have been disappointed with Florida's on-field coaching. It uh, it did not meet my expectations for this year. The style of it, I just felt like we would be cleaner and better in a lot of in a lot of respects. The results could have been what they were, but I, I definitely am I am I am disappointed with the on-field coaching, and I'm I'm happy with a lot of other things. But that's been a disappointment for me. We'll see if this Florida State game can end on a high note. And perhaps that puts me more to a neutral category. But I haven't been thrilled with what the staff has put out there as far as just actual game to game coaching acumen.
2: I would agree. And but if you're if you're going to be in the Pro Napier camp, it's going to be he's building something. Year two and three are going to be much better than year one. Correct. And so that's what you're holding out hope for. And he's always a long term guy. Yeah yeah and
3: we've said that right we've said that lost to brian kelly we said look brian kelly's a better coach than napier is right now facts that's not that's that's a fact and i think there's a lot of other coaches that are better than him right now he's still early on he's figuring it out uh but i think that's what we're kind of stopping and taking a pulse right here napier was always a long-term play we said it when we favored him i'm just more disappointed in the on-field coaching i didn't think it would be maybe as frustrating as it's been at times this season i thought it would be cleaner that does not mean that i'm you know off the bandwagon or or I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but I wanted to check in, kind of take temperature here and say, yeah, I'm not feeling, you know, as good as I wanted to feel about it, but I'm also not seeing something that says this is the end. It's over. Uh, But I do feel like, again, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much falling in the OC camp category saying, you know, it's hard to justify this when no one else really seems to do it. And Florida's offense is very inconsistent.
2: Florida can't win this game. Oh yeah. And that will make us feel a little bit better. Probably. Sure. But that will not change probably the overall. No, hey, maybe you should really look at this and think about hiring. Something.
3: Yeah, and again, just ask those questions to yourself in the off season. If I'm Billy, I'm asking those questions. Am I the only one doing this? Why am I doing this? Will anyone copy this? Is this really the best thing to do? Am I gaining a big enough benefit for this? And and you know, find out what those answers are. All right, the holidays are literally just around the corner this week. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you, of course. And HelloFresh can make this busy time of year easier than ever. If you're looking for a Black Friday meal, for example, while you're going to be out shopping online or out in person or watching the games, watching U.S. soccer play England, whatever the case may be, you can have meals delivered right to your doorstep where you can make farm fresh meals uh, quite quickly with pre-proportioned ingredients. Uh, It's fast, it's fun, and it's affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You can now get 70% off. used to be 65%, but the response has been so good here with our listener base that you can get 70% off from HelloFresh. If you go to HelloFresh.com slash GNFP70, again, use the code GNFP70, get 70% off a bunch of meals plus free shipping by visiting HelloFresh.com GNFP70. And that leads us right into the week 13 slate, Alan. It is rivalry week. There are a lot of very mm. fun games on the slate. And we will start with the annual tradition on Thanksgiving. That is the Egg Bowl, Mississippi State at Ole Miss. And Ole Miss favored by two and a half coming off of that lashing from Arkansas. Who do you like here?
2: Yeah, I don't like the way that Ole Miss has been playing the last couple weeks. On. Give me the Fighting Leeches here for sure.
3: I like, I like the Fighting Leeches here as well. Road game, which can be tricky, but I think they are a more consistent team. All right, Tulane at Cincy. Cincy favored by two.
2: I don't know here. Um, This is for like to be able to host the conference championship here after that UCF loss last week. Um, So there's a lot on the line here. You know, let's go to Tulane just for fun. You must be
3: incorrect. UCF never loses. Uh, So please amend your statement. All right. Cincy. I'm going to take Cincy. Uh, To me, again, if anything, Alan here, Luke Vickle has cemented his status as an excellent football coach. This team had a ton of turnover this year and they're right in the hunt. Yeah. They're right in the hunt for another conference title. Guy's a good coach. Uh, we'll see if they get it done this weekend. All right. Baylor at Texas. I'm glad you're going first here. Texas, everybody, eight and a half.
2: Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm tempted to pick Baylor here just because of the Texas wonkiness going back and forth. You know, play well one week, play poor the other week, but I'll, I'll stay with Texas. All right. Well, I
3: am going to be wise here and glue myself to you. NC State at UNC. (laughs) UNC favored by six and a half.
2: Oh, man, what a bad loss by UNC to Georgia Tech last week. We didn't really talk about that. Um, How are they feeling right now? They're they got to be just down, down, down. But I don't like the way NC State is playing at all. So I'll, I'll stay with UNC here.
3: Yeah, that's, again, this is like what we talk about. If you're a UNC fan and you're like, oh, Florida lost to Vanderbilt, you know, whatever, it's year one for Billy. But if you're UNC, you lose to Georgia Tech, who, who's been much better since right. they fired Jeff Collins. It should be said. They've been much better since then. I also like UNC here. Six and a half, a, a nice number. NC State has been very inconsistent. Uh, but, you know, UNC is tough to predict. They tend to play a lot of close games. All right, Tennessee favored by 14 on the road. Favored by 14 on the road versus Vanderbilt. I want to remind you that Florida was favored by 14 and a half in that game. Hooker obviously is out. Joe Milton was the starter at one point in time over Hooker. I don't know that Heupel feels like he's losing 30 points a game from having him in at quarterback, but it will be different. Who do you like here?
2: Man, I'm really tempted to take Vanderbilt here. And you know what? Let's do it. Let's take Vanderbilt to cover here.
3: All right, this even with Milton, the quarterback, this is a horrible matchup for Vanderbilt for so many reasons. But Tennessee emotionally could be like we said, in such an unbelievably disinterested state. This is going to be the hardest coaching week of Hypel's career at Tennessee to get these guys to win this game and not to put an ugly, ugly black eye on the end of the season for them. I think they get this done. Uh, I think Tennessee takes care of Vanderbilt, here. yeah,
2: I would not be surprised if Tennessee won by twenty five yeah we'll
3: find out we'll find out though look if vandy closes if clark lee closes this season with a win against tennessee allen and goes three sec wins in a row i'm going to start believing his comment that vanderbilt's on a a quest here to get to be the best team in the country Uh, south carolina on the road versus clemson south carolina now looked like they were going to be a doormat that you know again new narrative every week clemson only favored by 14 and a half
2: Give me Clemson here. I, I don't think that South Carolina is going to be able to repeat any of yeah, that. Yeah, look,
3: South Carolina has been just like Florida. like They can compete. We said this before we played them. They can compete with almost anyone, and they can also get blown out by almost anyone. And I just I think last week was an anomaly, not a trend, and I'm going to go with Clemson as well. Kansas at Kansas State. Kansas State only favored by 12 here.
2: Yeah, I got to take Kansas State here. They They've had some weird results, but they've most been playing pretty well.
3: Yeah, me too. All right. Auburn at Alabama. Bama favored by 21.5.
2: Yeesh. <laughs> I think I'm going to take Auburn. I just, yeah. the weirdness of this game.
3: I am too. I think that's too much. I think this Bama team has proven they don't tend to blow everyone out. And I think Auburn is playing inspired football. Oregon favored by 3.5 over Oregon State, playing at Oregon State.
2: Yeah, this game feels like upset special here. Oh, man. This number is low enough. I'll take Oregon, though.
3: The Civil War. Like it, Civil War yeah, should Civil be a War. great one. Oregon State's a great home team, and for that reason, I'm going to take them in this one. All right, LSU versus Texas A&M. LSU favored by 9.5 in this game. Seems low, that maybe? feels
2: very low. Yeah, yeah. I'll mm-hmm. take LSU.
3: I will take LSU as well. Uh, Washington at Washington State in the Apple Cup. Washington favored by 2.
2: I guess I'll take Washington. I tell you what, I do not like taking all of these road teams that we've taken in these rivalry games.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of them there. Uh Washington feels like the better football team, but I'm gonna do the same thing here. And we're you know, hey, look, last week didn't work, so perhaps me just linking my wagon to use a better strategy. Uh Iowa State at TCU. Of course you went three and seven, so that's clearly not a good strategy either. <laughs> Iowa State at TCU. TCU here, favored by ten.
2: I think Iowa State is going to keep it close. I think TCU wins, but I'll, I'll take the points here.
3: Iowa State is – your clones have had a rough year this year, Alan. But yeah, I, I was I was, about, I was about to say that I think Iowa State is, is potentially ripe to upset TCU. But because you did that, and we can't always pick uh-huh. everything pick together, I'll pick TCU. Uh, Notre Dame at USC. Notre Dame is playing very good football. USC favored by five.
2: I'm going to ensure a USC victory here by picking Notre Dame. I, I think I picked them wrong every time. So,
3: I'm also taking Notre Dame here. I, I am looking forward to this matchup. Marcus Freeman's stock is skyrocketing right now. He started the year off as bad as you possibly could. He's built this football team into a much better team. USC's defense is horrific. I think Marcus Freeman's defense can be good enough to keep this game close right there until the end. I am looking forward to this matchup. That should be a great one. And then finally we have the game that I think is always overhyped every single year because I'm an sec fan, Michigan at Ohio state where Ohio state's favored by seven and a half.
2: Yeah, this is weird. I think we're going to find out a lot is Ohio state, the team that got run over by Michigan still last year. And they just have had an opportunity to have that exposed. Or is Michigan kind of <laughs> limited like they showed last week? I don't know. It feels like this could this is gonna be a Michigan win by ten or an Ohio State win by ten. Um but I'll take Michigan.
3: I will too, and that's largely because Michigan returns a lot of the same roster, and so does Ohio State. And I think until proven otherwise, right, take what history says. It's a road game, Ohio State plays a lot better at the shoe. Uh I wouldn't really want to bet on this game. I think this is going to be tough to predict, but I I tend to think both of these teams are probably overvalued in general as big 10 teams tend to be. Uh, I'm a firm believer that no matter what happens in this game, unless a lot of crazy stuff happens, there should not be two of these teams in the playoff, but that's just me either way. That's going to sort itself out this week and next week. So that's the slate for week 13 and Daytona Steve is finally back in the saddle here. He's finally made it back we got the Homer parlay. We have USA to beat England straight up on Friday. That is obviously unlikely to happen. And then we have Florida to win outright versus FSU. The odds there are 22 to one. 22 to one. So put 10 bucks on that. You could make yourself a nice little holiday treat. Rooting for the home team. Rooting for the boys. All right, Alan, any other items?
2: You know, I I was pretty down on the Gators there at the end. You know, picking them to lose by 10 feeling like the matchups are unfavorable. There's a lot of potential for weirdness in this game. I I don't feel like this is, I kind of said this, I don't feel like this is going to be a slam duck Florida state win. Just it feels like the bigger range of possibilities point me towards that. But I really, really want to win here. I, this would feel so much better. It would feel great to just slam the door in their face, pick up a win. I'm just going to be on pins and needles during this game. I, I want this so much more than I want to like not lose to Vanderbilt. And as a Florida fan, this one means a lot to me.
3: Yeah. It means a lot to me too. And I think I'm, I'm in disaster mode. I'm preparing myself for a USA soccer loss to England, which is the obvious choice. And then I'm actually flying to Qatar. I'll be there for the USA game versus Iran. And I'm preparing myself not for the USA to get out of that group, which is going to be disappointing. And I'm preparing myself to lose to Florida state. I'm in a bad place, Alan, but I want to not be in a bad place. I want Florida to win this football game so bad. Uh, you know, Florida State, you kind of feel like they're the little brother that's like no big deal when you're beating them, but as soon as they win, they're just so it's just so annoying, it's so frustrating. Ugh, I want it. I want it badly. I will say in a happy note, Florida's basketball team which took a horrific loss versus FAU yeah. did beat Florida State after not looking so good in the first half. Florida State's winless in basketball, which is kind of shocking. That's another item. But anyway, I'm with you. Look, I want this game bad. I want my Thanksgiving week, I want my feast week to be filled with fun and family and friendship and football and other football and basketball and all the wonderful things that we can enjoy for entertainment. But I want nothing more than Florida to beat Florida state, to have positive momentum heading into early recruiting season, heading into the bowl season, uh, just really bolstering the end of year one for Napier. And that would be a win. That would be a win you know, for me to get to that point, to get to that level for Florida to finish there. And uh, we're going to see what happens obviously on Friday night, 7 30 PM at doke for those of you that are going uh, enjoy it. Hopefully we get a win and you know, Alan, I'm with you. I want this badly. The fan of me wants this badly. I do not want to analyze another loss. I do not want Florida to lose two in a row, but I'm preparing myself for the reality that that very well may happen.
2: Yeah. And I don't care. Make it as weird as possible. Like let them fumble like 10 times. I don't care. I'll take the win. And with that, let's close it out. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great week. Have a happy Thanksgiving. And I'll see you after that first game.